You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 549. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of December, 2022. In today's episode, three people die in the fiery crash of a Russian helicopter. British Airways puts a pet dog on the wrong plane, flying it to Saudi Arabia instead of Nashville. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 549 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter, pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, and part-time Santa Claus at the local store downtown. It's Captain Nick. Buenas noches, Jeffrey. Lovely to see you, and a jolly and merry Christmas to you and all our listeners. Awesome. Merry Christmas to you as well, and also joining us from a place to stand, a place to grow. Yes, from her studio in Toronto, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everybody from Canada, the home of St. Nick. Santa Claus lives at the North Pole. Oh, I thought he came from Lapland. We discussed this on the last show. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, half goat, half man that lived. <laughs> <laughs> might be some. <laughs> <Yeah>. And burns <laughs> little kids in the pot. Yeah. Yeah. There might be some fake news going on here. I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Hi, Laura. Okay, guys, have a good show. Behave yourselves. Thanks, Liz. No. Okay. Now that she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we could do have whatever fun. we want. All right. Here we go. It's time for some aviation news. All right, the first item in our news notebook is from aviationsafety.net. An accident involving an MI-171 Echo Russian helicopter crashed at Baikal Airport, Baikal, not sure, Uh, Ulan-Udi, 
which is uh, Uniform Uniform Delta or Uniform India Uniform Uniform, if you prefer the four-letter ICAO. Is Pip here? I don't know. We want to make sure we make Not him yet. happy. No. Um, anyway, in Varaishya, uh, is that how you'd say that? Varaishya? Varaishya? Varaishya. Uh, during a <laughs> test flight, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a clue. Yeah, during a test flight, and was destroyed by fire. All three crew members yeah. died. Yeah, that's no good. Yeah, um, helicopters dangerous bits of kit. They are. Uh, let's see the uh, helicopter. It's a hip, by the way. Oh, uh, excuse me. It's a hip. Mm, NATO I thought it... reporting name hip. Oh, H-I-P. okay. Thank you. I thought it was a helicopter, but apparently it's a hip. Uh, It belonged. NATO calls it. Okay. So, I mean, is it, so I guess it's a derivative of the older MI-8 helicopter and then the MI-17. MI-17 and various uh, derivatives of that. We used to say um, uh, it looks like a bus with a rotor stuck on it. Uh, (laughs) If you're waiting at a bus stop for a long time and eventually you see the bus come along, Kind of pick you up. You'd say, hip, hip, hooray, it comes to bus. <laughs> so that's how we remember to call it a hip. Yeah. I was the squadron recce officer, okay. by the way. Oh, well, <laughs> that's really interesting. Thank you, Nick, <laughs> for all that. Um, I mean, this. see, you listen to the show and you you learn so much. <laughs> yeah. that you, you do. You learn didn't, so much rubbish. You didn't realize what you were missing. Uh, let's see. The helicopter that crashed was uh, an MI-171E, according to the source. It belonged to Ulan, Ulan Uday Aviation Plant. And uh, according to preliminary data, it was tested, being tested before being sold to buyers from China. Uh, they uh, named the uh, three uh, Russian crew members. Um, initially it was reported that a private MI-8 helicopter crashed while flying from Vostochny airfield to Baikal. Um, uh, anyway, uh, what, let's see, what else did I want to talk about here? They talked about in one of the sources of, uh, news I was looking at that they thought that it could have been a situation where they ended up, uh, getting caught up in something they call the vortex ring and it's a flight condition also sometimes called settling with power, a uh, flight condition in which a helicopter that's receiving power from its engines loses main rotor lift and subsequently experiences loss of control. I guess it has something to do with lift along the, uh, the length of the blades, and, uh, and then it somehow develops this vortex roll that's kind of like a donut. And if, and if they're descending very, very rapidly, uh, it's possible that they can get caught up in this vortex ring and then the airplane or the helicopter continues to accelerate in its descent and it gets to the point where there's not enough power to recover from that. So that's one of the one of the things they're surmising that may have happened. Yeah, here there, in this there must be a Miami rig equivalent of a helicopter a test pilot out there hopefully who listens to the show can explain uh, what it feels like to have a vortex ring uh, i only have a normal ring but a vortex one sounds very exciting okay well if we hear anything else regarding this crash of this helicopter we'll certainly hopefully 
cover it. All right. Mm. It, it incredibly uh, versatile and successful helicopter. Perhaps it's worth mentioning. Um, being used in many countries as a real workhorse machine. Um, you see it often in those um, mountain rescues uh, up in in Everest, and uh, uh, it's a very capable machine. Uh, and uh, you know, being around for donkey's years, so very shamed, a great shame to see that one going in. But uh, I suspect uh, perhaps a manufacturer's fault or something happened, since it was a post-manufacturer's or pre-sale test flight. Mm-hmm. Mm, not good. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next item, and it is from the aviationherald.com. Um, it involves uh, an Air, Hawaiian Airlines Airbus A330-200 registration, November 393 Hotel Alpha, performing flight uh, 35 from Phoenix, Arizona to Honolulu, Hawaii with 278 passengers and 10 crew. They were descending into Honolulu when the aircraft encountered turbulence, causing 36 injuries and damage to the aircraft cabin. The aircraft continued for a safe landing on Honolulu's runway 4 right. 33 passengers and three flight attendants sustained injuries. 20 of them were taken, taken to hospitals. 11 of them were diagnosed with serious injuries. The airline reported that the aircraft encountered severe turbulence but landed safely. Uh, medical care was provided to several guests and three crew members for minor injuries. Some of them were swiftly transported to hospitals. The passenger seatbelt uh, seat signs were on at the time of the clear air, air, uh, clear air turbulence encounter that occurred about 30 minutes before landing. Uh, there was a patch of unstable air that caught the flight crew by surprise without any prior warning. Uh, however, the National Weather Service in Hawaii uh, said that there was a weather advisory posted for thunderstorms at the time of the turbulence, and they think that the flight possibly flew into a thunderstorm, uh, which kind of is at odds with the um, sentence that said clear air turbulence encounter. So. Was it clear? Yeah, it'd be at odds with my estimation as well, because you know yeah. a thunderstorms visible. Uh, it's easily avoided. It's visible on radar as well as usually you can spot it out of the window. So uh, there's usually few excuses for going into it. Having said that, uh, if they put the seatbelts on because they knew they were going to go close to one, you don't have to go into one to get the turbulence because there's a lot of air being moved in the center of the cloud but that air also is influencing the air around the edges you know up to a quite a considerable distance 5 10 even 15 or 20 miles if you're at high level so uh, it is possible to encounter turbulence but um, um it, it's it's a bit sad because i know some people were in their seats in which case there's there are few excuses for not having your seatbelt sign your seat belts on when the seatbelt sign is on but it's also a classic time when people who've been sitting around watching a movie or just having a doze suddenly you get all the pas and all the activity at the top of descent they suddenly realize that oh the seatbelt signs on for the descent I, we're going to be trapped in our seats now and i need to use the restroom it's very you know it's classic that a lot of passengers usually get up and you end up with queues around the uh, toilets while everyone tries to make a last minute visit 
um, uh, you know, do their makeup or, you know, just attend to their personal needs. And um, it's if you get turbulence at that point, you know, that, that could involve a lot of people. Um, uh, I also feel sorry for the cabin crew, of course, who are trying to secure the cabin for landing. And there's a lot of things they need to do, you know, tidy up, clear everything away, get all the trolleys uh, stowed. They're on their feet for almost the entire descent. So, uh, you know, it's hardly surprising that even with the seatbelt signs on, you're going to get cabin crew injuries. Yeah, there is uh, someone that took some video shortly after the turbulence encounter on Twitter. And uh, we can take a look at that if you'd like. Show some of the uh, damage to the uh, galley and damage to the flight attendants. Um, passengers. Do you know? With, um, yeah, people with bloodied faces. Um, yeah, looks like it made a mess. She looked pretty happy. She did. She must the, have been the girl buckled who up. was right at the back there. It didn't look like she was feeling very happy about having someone put a camera in her face. No. I mean, I expect uh, the seat yeah. signs were still on it. I was just wondering if it was a cabin crew member who took that video just to illustrate mm -hmm. what had happened. Could be. Not sure. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. So, you know, a, a reminder, as, as Captain Nick just mentioned, though, you know, we always say if you don't need to be up, stay in your seat with your seatbelt fastened. Um, but uh, there are times when you need to get up and use the restroom or whatever, you know, or you move out of somebody's way so that they can get into the aisle and go to the restroom, that sort of thing. So, uh, I mean, it's, you know, not 100% uh, foolproof, you know. Now, I never flew this route, but I seem to recall there have been a number of incidents uh, of turbulence going into uh, um, Hawaii. Uh, is it an area of known turbulence i mean is it no something um, that is recognized I've, I've flown to hawaii hundreds of times in my flying career um and no it's it's really not particularly any more turbulent than anywhere else um okay the uh and i believe that it was shortly before they were going to begin their descent or shortly after they departed forty thousand feet when they encountered the turbulence. Now, it's possible that if there were thunderstorm activity, they were above the th thunderstorms. And as Captain Nick can attest, even if you're above the, you know, clear of the uh, thunderstorm activity, you can still get a lot of turbulence um, for a few thousand feet above the top, uh, the cloud tops of, uh, of thunderstorm activity. So, yeah, just because the clouds stopped forming doesn't mean the air has stopped moving. So let's see, is there something else that I had in here that uh, I think I may have had some, uh, yeah, some Fair live bit of damage to the inside of the aircraft, didn't it? I mean, it looks yeah. well beaten up. Let's see, I got some uh, air traffic control um, pilot uh, flight uh, interaction here. And Center Hawaiian, 25 picking in out of a flight of 250,000 emergency aircraft. Uh, yeah, we, um, it's a pretty severe turbulence, and uh, we actually have three flight attendants that uh, are injured. At the time, they did, I guess they didn't realize how many of uh, the passengers were injured as well. So, um, 
Yeah, they uh, got the airplane on the ground and uh, uh, several people were attended to by uh, medical personnel. Yeah, definitely not the way you want to start your holiday or go home for the holidays. Uh, many of them may have been, uh, you know, residents of Hawaii or you know, going back home for, for the holidays. All right. Well, yep. uh, let's see. Oh, this is an interesting one uh, involving an F-35, um, F-35B model, the Lightning II. Um, and the F-35B is the one that's... Uh, the, the Marine Corps uses, and I believe, uh, is that the only one that you all have over there in uh, England? Uh, in the United yeah. Kingdom, yes. Yeah. Uh, we have the vertical takeoff version. Okay. And I guess they were doing a vertical landing at an airbase in North Texas on Thursday, and then this happened. Let's play the uh, video, and I think I've got the volume all the way down because there's some interesting, <laughs> the person taking the video is uh, yeah has some ex- expletives going on. Anyway, so here it comes. It looks like it's kind of really coming down faster than it should, and then boom, hits it. It bounces up, and then it kind of leans forward on the nose. Basically, takes out the nose wheel, and then this thing is just kind of twirling around on its nose and right main gear. And then at some point, the uh, pilot decides I'm going to get out of this airplane because it's got a mind of its own, and he ejects. <laughs> Uh, and gets what one swing, maybe two, one and a half swings yeah. before he hits the ground. Yeah. Enough to save your life, but it's not exactly comfortable. I'll bet not. It's not like when uh, Steph goes out skydiving. It's a little bit different. No, no, it's not exactly, exactly a para wing. <laughs> I'm sure she looks like you know um, Twinkle Toes when she lands. You know, all mm-hmm. sort of woo, look at me. I'm, I'm going to do a stand up landing. Now, with the sound on, you can kind of hear the fact when it when the when the thing hits the ground and then it kind of uh, bounces up and it starts to nose over here. Then it sounds almost like the engine is like accelerating. It's not it's not going down to idle. It's just almost sounds like it's powering up. And that well, I did read. Someone said that there is a sort of a safety. Now, I don't know if this is some someone who knows or someone who is just one of those classic people guessing mm-hmm. there's a, a built-in safety feature that uh, tries to uh, cushion a, a firm landing by taking control of the throttle and applying more power oh. uh, but i don't know if and it might have been that that system went a bit haywire um but it seems to me that uh you know the the, the primary cause might have been the fact that it was a firm landing but he would have got away with it, I'm pretty sure, with a bounce and uh, perhaps a little bit of undercarriage damage. But uh, something went very wrong with the uh, engine controls. It might have been a res- as a result of the impact of the landing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Very nasty. Very nasty, yeah, for sure. There's a still of the F-35B uh, in its aftermath. Hopefully it didn't damage the airplane too badly they're not cheap i noticed i saw a lovely picture of uh uh, one of the american f-35b's that had a big uh american flag on the inside of that intake um cover that is currently raised for to allow the vertical takeoff the forward fan to uh uh, suck in air and i always thought that was a neat thing i wondered if you could deploy it in flight to say oh look i'm an american i'm an american don't shoot me. Yeah, I would imagine it would be a lot of uh, a lot of drag, though, perhaps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Possibly. 
Oh, let's see. Nick, uh, Liz uh, thinks that you might want to comment this on this comment from Tom. I think Marking Baker gives a tie and a watch. They give you a tie. Uh, they don't give you a watch. But uh, once you have been given a tie and a membership number with uh, Martin Baker as being someone who has qualified for the tie, you can then uh, write to uh, Beaumont, who make these beautiful Swiss watches. They are absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, they're the equivalent of Breitling and many other fine watchmakers, but uh, they do make a really nice uh, aviation-themed watch. Uh, and you get one with a special sort of your Martin Baker number engraved on the back. Uh, you still have to pay for the watch, but it comes with, you know, your Martin Baker number, uh, Martin Baker logo behind the face. And uh, on the back of the um, second hand is a, is a little... Um, uh, Martin Baker, you know, jet to see handle the one that nestles between your legs that you, uh, you know, it's the nowadays it's the only uh, way of actually activating the ejector seat. In the old days, there used to be one above your head as well, uh, but nowadays they've removed that because uh, it's considered uh, takes too long to get your hands up there and pull out mm. this whole face blind and. Now you just have one between your knees. But it's a lovely watch. So you can you qualify. Only a Martin Baker ejectee is allowed to own that watch. Hmm. Well, I would think if uh, if if I had the choice between not having one of the nice watches and ties um, and or, uh, or not ejecting, I think I'd opt for the not ejecting. Oh, yeah, exactly. And in the old days, of course, you also used to get your Caterpillar Club. Um, oh, yeah. That's tiny right. gold brooch, which was a little silk caterpillar. Mm. Uh, I mean, a, you know, a caterpillar that makes silk. Mm -hmm. Pardon me. Um, with a ruby for an eye. And that was the Irving Parachute um, gift that they used to give out. So it goes all the way back to Second World War. Uh, and a fabulous little thing if you see someone wearing a tiny caterpillar golden caterpillar with a ruby eye they've had their life saved by an irving parachute but um you know uh, quite a while ago aeroconical uh, started supplying the parachutes for martin baker seats uh, so you don't get that little darling brooch anymore that oh. little yeah the little caterpillar there you go oh well like a silkworm i guess huh i just sent yeah, you a picture of, of, the, of the caterpillar What's that, Liz? I just sent you a picture of the oh, caterpillar. Oh, you just sent me a picture of the caterpillar. So that means I have to do this. If you oh, yes, you're now obliged. Preview, and then, yeah. Well, obligated if you're an American. Um, well, obliged works as well. <laughs> uh, share screen window, and here we go. Share, and then there we go. Can you see oh, it? There you go. Yep. There is the. Now, is it a caterpillar? It looks or is like it a, be uh... chewing through your uh, suit, your beautiful wool suit. <laughs> or would it be a silkworm? Or well, that's what it. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a okay. silkworm. It represents the silk that uh, Irving parachutes were made out of. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right, there you go. Uh, let's uh, move on to the next item. 
also from the Aviation Herald. And it's just basically an update. Uh, the NTSB has released their uh, infor- investigation docket. Uh, this actually happened on, uh, let's see, uh, where's the date on the thing? Uh, November 11th, 2019. And uh, it happened at Chicago O'Hare Landing on 10 left. Uh, they talk a little bit in the narrative here about the fact that after having gone around once, I think because of the weather, I think the ceiling was about 500 feet. Maybe they weren't stabilized. I'm not sure. They came back around and on their second landing attempt, um, tower reported medium braking action and uh, 4,000 feet ar- uh, re- uh, runway visual range, RVR. When the aircraft skidded left of the off the runway, skidded si- sideways, further yawing to the left, it came to a stop with all gear as well as the right wingtip on soft ground about 5,350 feet past the runway threshold. The right main gear had collapsed. Um, uh, now, I'm going to play that. We, we did talk about this short, shortly after it happened. I guess they're still doing their investigation. Um, not really a lot of information released um, in the investigation docket. At least, you know, it seems like it was pretty much the same data that we were uh, talking about when we covered this thing. But I think it's worth playing the... Uh, the passenger video again because I just it's it's fun to hear their comments on the landing. Here we go. At the right wing, it does look like it's wintry in uh, Chicago, and we're about to touch down. And touch down. Okay, spoilers coming up. Inboard spoilers. Uh, looks like. It's starting to slide to the right. And now they're gonna make a correction back to the center line. And it keeps on going past the center line to the left and goes off the runway. Right here. No, 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 no. Well, they're on the ground. I think we're done. Yes, I say we're done. Wait, I didn't hear the ladies yell out. Um, I think we landed. Hang on, let's see if I can find that. I think we landed. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> nice one, Jeff. That's, that's why I wanted to play it again. I think yeah, we landed. That's, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> It's fun to uh, laugh at, uh, you know, other people's mistakes. Well, it is knowing then no one was really hurt. Uh, no. I mean, they only went off at about 50 knots. So, um, you know, there's not going to be a huge amount of damage to the uh, passenger cabin at that sort of speed. Um, they, but, yet, you know, the, it does worry me, though. The, the braking action report is medium. You've got to trust air traffic and uh, let's go, okay, well, I can land at medium if the crosswind's in limits. Uh, probably would have been quite a low crosswind limits for the aircraft I used to fly because once the braking action got down there, um, the crosswind uh, was very limiting uh, just for this sort of occasion because you've got very little directional control if the runway is very slippery. And the fact that they then declared, immediately declared the braking action as poor, Yeah, uh, I would not have been permitted uh, in my company's uh, 
regulations to even attempt to allow to land if the runway braking action was reported as poor. Uh, even medium to poor. As soon as poor appeared in the report, that was it. Well, no, divert. Uh, so, you know, it does make me think that the, you know, the traffic were probably perhaps pushing it a little bit, uh, letting these guys come in without doing a proper check at the runway and uh, making sure it's safe because I think these crew were very unfortunate um, thinking that they were going to get a better runway surface than they ended up with. Yeah. I think for us, uh, we can land even in poor, but as soon as the word nil is used, N-I-L, <laughs> then... <laughs> okay, airport's basically closed at that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and basically you're landing on an ice skating rink. Yeah, um, not good. Not good, no. Uh, continuing on uh, with this from Flying Magazine, uh, flyingmag.com. Uh, Boom, the uh, company making uh, the Boom supersonic Aircraft, I think they're calling it uh, Ovation. Is that what they're? No, or uh, Overture. 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 Uh, Overture. Is the name yeah. of their um, of their design. They announced it's collaborating with industry partners FTT, GE Additive, and Standard Aero to develop a new propulsion system for its Overture uh, supersonic airliner. Months after losing its primary engine manufacturer, Rolls Royce. Boom Supersonic is now leading a consortium of industry partners in designing a power plant for its Overture Supersonic airliner. Boom said it is leading the collaborative effort in developing the new supersonic engine, dubbed Symphony, alongside Florida Turbine Technologies, FTT, for engine design, GE Additive for Additive Technology Design Consulting, and Standard Aero for maintenance for the Symphony. The announcement comes three months after engine manufacturer Rolls-Royce exited its contract with the commercial airline manufacturer, prompting Boom to look to other engine manufacturers with supersonic propulsion programs. At that time, Rolls-Royce said commercial supersonic flight was no longer a short-term priority for the company. Uh, by the way, this whole thing is taking place, uh, and the, the engines will be developed and built uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina at the... Uh, at the uh, Piedmont. North Kakalaki. Uh, yep, in, in North Kakalaki. Um, they the, smoke uh, a lot of pot in that part of the world. Yeah. Just curious. What's that now? What's the question? They smoke a lot of pot in that part of the world. Is it legal? Smoking a lot of pot. Hmm. All right, is that what you were asking me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't. <laughs> I don't think it's legal in North Carolina. I could be wrong. Things okay, laws right, continually right, change right, here, um, but I don't think North Carolina is. Maybe they allow it uh, for medical purposes. Uh, perhaps okay. why are you? Are you just saying that they must be because uh, this is never going to happen? <laughs> I think that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. far be it from me to suggest that the next generation of supersonic aircraft is probably never going to fly. But, um, yeah. you know, I sometimes get that feeling. That yeah, they're, me too. They're, they're living the dream. I hope it turns out uh, to be real. But uh, I sometimes get the feeling that uh, when, a, when a big engine manufacturer like Rolls-Royce goes, nah, I don't think this is going to happen. It's not really worth our effort investing in this. Uh, then you do begin to wonder. 
I agree with you. They think that they're going to, or they said it's expected to achieve type certification in 2029. And uh, the company will build the jet at the Overture Super Factory in Greensboro, North Carolina, with ground testing to begin in 2026, flight testing in 2027. Don't get me wrong. I wish these investors and the people who are doing all this work are the best of luck. But it's not an easy uh, project to achieve. Um, So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Now, this is interesting. I had not read this before. Uh, it said the uh, the FTT, uh, a, a Kratos uh, Defense and Security Solutions Incorporated business unit, will lead the engine design portion. Um, it would leverage FTT's supersonic engine design expertise, noticeably uh, because FTT's workforce, including engineers involved in the designing the F-119 and F-135 supersonic engines that power the F-22 and the F-35. Okay, so they have some chops, I guess, when it comes to yep, engines absolutely. operating in the uh, supersonic realm. Yeah, but these are still going to be big fan engines, I, I gather. So that may not be quite the same. Um, and they're also powering a supersonic aircraft with an engine that will be, not be reheated. Uh, that is, I, I'm finding that quite an interesting concept because, uh, you know, getting over that, um, the transonic period and the drag rise that occurs as you try to go supersonic and then you get into the supersonic cruise and you can take the reheats out. Getting over that drag hump it, it takes quite an effort. So I'm just wondering how they're going to achieve that with a, a non-reheated uh, uh, engine without afterburner. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That seems, you know... Yeah, um, it'll be interesting if they can achieve it, but it's, mm-hmm. I think you know there aren't many supersonic airplanes that don't have afterburners. Let's see. According to Boom, the power plant will be a medium bypass turbofan, uh, similar to power plants on current commercial aircraft. However, unlike subsonic turbofans, the Symphony would feature a Boom-designed axisymmetric, axisymmetric, I guess, supersonic intake a variable geometry, low noise exhaust nozzle, and a passively cooled high-pressure turbine. It won't have an afterburner, Yeah, as you just mentioned. Um, it would produce 35,000 mm. pounds of thrust on takeoff and would run on 100% uh, sustainable aviation fuel. Uh, to keep things quiet and meet Chapter 14 noise level requirements, Symphony will be designed with a single-stage fan. The process will include additive manufacturing to keep its weight and parts count low and reduce assembly costs. Um, and then finally, it will need to meet the FAA and EASA Part 33 engine certification requirements. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting goals they have for this. And I think they, I think we mentioned in a previous show that initially I think they had a like a twin-engine design and then they went with a three-engine design. And now I think the latest... Uh, is evolution of this is a four-engine design, something to do with um, uh, supply chain logistics and you know getting the parts necessary to make these engines. And uh, that uh, because they're going to be smaller engines than they had originally planned, they're going to have to have four of them. So. Yeah, kind of looks a bit like a, is it the Hustler? Yeah, it does that, a little uh, bit. Was the supersonic four-engine bomber? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was a pretty remarkable aer- airplane. It sure uh, was. 
Yeah, it's going to add a lot of cost if they're going to have to have four engines, as we know, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got a, an airliner with four engines, it's not going to be economic, but I don't think it's going to be economic to start with. So, uh, you know, it's all about providing the service of getting from A to B in, you know, a fraction of the time that it would take on a conventional uh, airliner. Yeah. Well, now going from supersonic world to extremely low speed world. <laughs> yes, uh, the next right. item is from learningenglish.voanews.com. Not sure what that is. Anyway, uh, a technology company successfully la uh, test launched one of its airships high above the New Mexico desert this week. The company, now I don't know how to, how to pronounce this, S-C-E-Y-E, -E, Sky? Oh, I see. I, E-Y-E, -E, and then an S-C in front of it, Sky. That's what I'm mm. going to guess. Hope its airship will one day be able to improve internet connectivity and collect data on everything from industrial pollution to wildlife threats. The airship Airship launched on Tuesday, not sure which Tuesday, if it was last week or the week before. The test was meant to see whether the ship could reach the Earth's stratosphere and stay there for a long period of time. The stratosphere is the upper layer of the Earth's atmosphere. It begins around one, uh, 11 kilometers above the Earth's surface and ends about 50 kilometers above the Earth's surface. On Wednesday morning, Sky announced the test was a success. The result means the company is closer to being able to reproduce and sell its airship technology. The head of Sky is Danish businessman Michael Vestergaard Fransen. He started Sky after the U.S. space agency NASA asked technology companies to think about ways to build an airship that could rise into the Earth's stratosphere and stay there for longer than eight hours. At the time of NASA's suggestion, no airship could remain in the stratosphere for longer than eight hours. Uh, the researchers at NASA and the Jet Propulsion Lab in California said a ship could stay in the stratosphere for a long period of time, or if the ship could stay in the stratosphere for a long period of time, they could provide important data for scientists. Um, the, uh, uh, the head of Sky said that he was pleased with the test. In a news release, he said the ship holds extraordinary potential for strat stratospheric discovery. He said he believes... Yeah, they, they're kind of making it sound like the stratosphere, this magical way place way up there. 90% uh, of all the airliners cruise along in the stratosphere. It's it's only it's only like in the high 30s um, when it comes to flight levels, you know. Uh, the tropopause it, with the, the layer between the the uh, troposphere, the, the portion we all live in, and uh, the bit above that, and it's only really delineated by a temperature change, which usually stops cloud formation, that sort of thing, um, is usually around well, 35,000, 34,000. can get up to 37, 38, 39 in the uh, tropics, and it's lower over the pole. But, um, you know, it's, it's not a huge altitude, quite honestly. Uh, you know, um, we've been flying balloons. Golly, I mean, hot air balloons get up there. <laughs> so... Me, it's it's nothing remarkable. 
I was thinking to myself that when I was first reading about this, I'm thinking, well, maybe there's like very little wind up there in the stratosphere, but I was wrong. It's still windy up there. And I'm thinking, so the airship is going to have to have some kind of a propulsion system to, if it's going to be a station, a geostationary kind of a setup, it's going to have to have something that's going to offset the, the uh, speed of the winds to keep it stationary. And uh, I guess the way they're going to do that is they're going to use, um, solar power uh during the daytime the let's see the airship is made from special material that reflects the sun it runs on solar panels and lithium sulfur batteries so during the day when the sun when it's exposed to the sun that's how the power is generated it's also sending some power to the batteries and then at night when there is no sun of course the uh, batteries take over and uh, i guess spin the propeller it looks like there's a little propeller on the tail of the thing i guess that is going to keep it just doesn't look big enough to me to like, you know, offset the high wind speeds up there. But ah, what do I know? Yeah, anyway. I know. I'm with you, Jet, because uh, the, the those jet streams that occur in the stratosphere can amount can reach 200 miles an hour. You get this poor device caught up in one of those; it's going to disappear halfway around the world before you know what's happened to it. So uh, you know, and it, it is a bit of a worry. But having said that, you know, I guess when they eventually, yeah, the the nice thing about a jet stream is it's it's like holding a ruler up. It's very long, so it goes, you know, for all the way across the Atlantic. Say, it's uh, quite wide, uh, but a fraction of the length. But the actual height between the top and the bottom of the jet stream is very small. So uh, you only need to climb a few thousand feet to get right out of the of a jet stream. And if it's got that flexibility to go up easily, up five or 10,000 feet or down, come to that, uh, you can navigate out of jet, the jet streams, which is kind of the opposite of what most um, of the balloonists that fly out there try and do because they're often trying to get from A to B to have a record set, you know, the fastest across the Atlantic or they're trying to find and stay in the jet streams. This guys trying to avoid them which is probably an easier objective i suppose looks like the airship is going to be filled with helium gas and uh it's not going to have a crew when what happens when we run out of helium hmm i don't know i guess they can use hydrogen and just uh hopefully it doesn't <laughs> ignite <laughs> we won't be able to yes. talk funny anymore oops well, if it's unmanned, I suppose that helium's actually sorry. Hydrogen is actually a lighter gas. I mean, it has a problem. It's got very small molecules, so it, you know you have to very, very uh, clever skin to keep the molecules in. But apart from the fact that it's highly explosive, it's it's very efficient at this sort of job. So if you haven't got any passengers on, I guess it's going to be fine. Well, another downside when we uh, exhaust our helium resources is that we're not going to be able to talk like this. Yeah, like on a bunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on. Paddle your own canoe. Yay. Always Hooray, enjoy the stories from the. Paddle your own canoe. Yeah. This is uh, British Airways accused of accidentally flying a couple's pet dog 7,000 miles in the wrong direction to yeah. Saudi Arabia after its kennel was mistakenly loaded well, onto the. they didn't send them to Korea or somewhere where they Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was very tasty. Thank you. Um, Madison and James Miller were, were relocating from England to Nashville, Tennessee on the 1st of December had planned for their five-year-old rescue dog, Bluebell, 
to fly in the cargo hold of the same flight that the uh, that James was a passenger on. Uh, but IAG Cargo, which manages freight on behalf of British Airways, accidentally loaded Bluebell's kennel on a flight to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Madison and James had no idea Bluebell wasn't on their flight until they arrived in Nashville. Following the realization that Bluebell had been loaded on the wrong aircraft, the Millers demanded a proof-of-life photo. They received a- <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to pay the ransom till I have proof-of-life. <laughs> Uh, they received a picture of their dog, um, alive and well, peering through a cage. And they were showing it right now on the uh, on the video. The couple now claim Bluebell is traumatized following her experience. After arriving in Saudi Arabia, the poor canine had to be flown all the way back to Heathrow before being loaded on a third flight to Nashville. In total, Bluebell spent around 60 hours in transit before being reunited with her owners. Thankful to have their dog back and in one piece, James said the uh, that was only the start of their problems. We did everything right moving Bluebell to America with us, and it's been an absolute nightmare. The first time we tried to leave her at home alone after the ordeal, she ripped through her kennel in the first 10 minutes. The, whole, the next time, she chewed through a wooden door, crying the whole time. So now we, we can't leave her. She could harm herself. Uh, being apart from us is just too traumatic for her. Uh, he's, uh, James says Bluebell is now working with a pet behaviorist to help calm her anxiety. Bluebell is currently taking anti-anxiety medication three times a day. We don't know if she'll ever be the same. It's breaking our hearts. A spokesperson for IAG Cargo apologized for what had happened and reassured the couple that every dog that travels long haul with transfers will be checked and their water bowls replenished. Ah, that makes him feel better. Yeah. Um, yeah, right, the, okay. I, mean, I believe them, but it's hardly a panacea to what happened to this poor dog. Yeah, they said after uh, she arrived back at Heathrow, she was taken to a special animal reception center where staff cared for Bluebell, allowing her to stretch her legs and receive refreshments prior to her onward journey home. British Airways has offered 50,000 frequent flyer Avios points as compensation. That gives you what? Maybe like half of a flight uh, to uh, yeah, Birmingham it's not, or something? It's not a lot. Uh, but the Millers have declined the, their offer. Instead, they're calling on the airline to cover a range of expenses, including vets, fees, and behavioral therapy that could top $10,000. And Laura Davis in our live audience says, I'd be a bit traumatized by traveling for 60 hours straight, too. <laughs> I think we all yeah, would. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a very sad. Um, situation for this rescue dog because you know they're they're often nervous and and fragile uh, animals having been through the the trauma of being perhaps neglected and certainly um, forced into uh, a kennels where some organization will try and rehome it it's not not a good experience Uh, and you know you'd (laughs) you'd think that um, they would take really good care because it's like a family member for most of us who own dogs and you would want the outfit who are looking after your pet to take such good care of them, perhaps even better care than you would expect um, given to yourself uh, because, you you know, your dog can't complain. It's, it's stuck in whatever situation it ends up in. So it really is an appalling mistake to make. Um, I, it's interesting they say, oh, nothing to do with us, it's IAG Cargo. Well, 
IAG uh, is uh, the International Airline Group, which is the group that owns British Airways. So this is the, the sort of mother company that owns BA. So it's not some outfit that they have, and they're, they're sort of blaming, oh, no, do it. it was this awful cargo outfit that made the mistake. This is, the, <laughs> this is their own company um, group that has made the mistake. So they can't really palm off this the um, responsibility onto IAG. So well, it's a clever attempt, and and it actually, yes. honestly, <laughs> I, I, I so. thought, well, it wasn't actually British Airways; it was IAG. But now that you've made yeah, the point, yes. it really was. Do with us. Yeah. Well, good on <laughs> them for course, trying to deflect. Uh, having, yeah, having dealt with uh, dogs that have been on the aircraft, etc., it it can be for some dogs a very um, traumatic. Um, event so i do really feel for the owners and i smack the hands of iag cargo mm -hmm. for making this dreadful mistake horrible poor, poor bluebell yeah all right well i hope that bluebell gets better uh, with her pet therapy and uh, yeah and i hope ba cough up a decent level yeah. of uh, compensation for these poor people and their poor dog yeah me too well, you know what? That ends the new segment. It's now time to get to know us. <laughs> Hooray! Yay! Yeah, whether you want to or not, we're going to tell you anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. We recorded the last show. We, we started on Thursday of last week and ended on Saturday. We had to do a two-part because of uh, internet connection, connectivity issues here at the new APG headquarters in Roswell. Uh, near uh, the beautiful, fashionable, historic downtown Roswell, Georgia. And uh, then, let's see, did I fly? I think I flew. Where did I go? I don't remember. Oh, I did a green slip trip, uh, an overnight. I was in uh, Jackson, Mississippi uh, last uh -huh. week. Did you and, uh, see the Mississippi? I did not because uh, you have to go a little bit further to the west to see the Mississippi ah, River. Right. Okay. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, had a good time. It was uh, rainy, cold weather, so didn't really get out and about from the hotel. It was a nice long layover there, but we just were pretty much confined to the hotel. But it was a, a nice uh, co-pilot I was flying with, a, a, a young man at the start of his airline career. And uh, I am the old guy who is getting very close to the end of his. <laughs> the, gr the grumpy um, old captain. Yeah, it was like, a, like you know, is that your is it your grandfather you're flying with there? Yeah. Um, but anyway, really nice guy. Uh, and uh, what were you asking, Liz? Oh, I was doing a lot of editing. Yes, I um, I had to had to do that. Um, well, at least gave you something to do to while yeah. away the time. Hopefully, yeah. you sat in the bar and put your headphones on. Well, I don't believe that uh, they, they close between like two and four. So I was in my room doing the uh, oh, editing at that time. But uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. I uh, did a lot of singing again over uh, the weekend. My voice is almost back to 100%. It was a very, a lot of, uh, a lot of singing and a lot of rehearsing. And then of course, uh, coming up here on Saturday, New Year's Eve, uh, I'm going to be singing in I mean, sorry, not New Year's, Christmas Eve. Thank you, Liz. Um, and uh, Christmas Eve, uh, I'm going to sing in, a, I think, four four or five masses on Christmas Eve. 
uh, day and uh, for the midnight mass. Anyway, looking forward to that. I always enjoy the the music. Are you singing on Christmas Day too? Christmas Day, I might be singing in the morning. The uh, ladies that are doing the seven thirty mass, seven thirty a.m. Uh, we're hoping that if I weren't doing anything, that I might be able to join them. So we'll see. I'm going to be doing the midnight mass the night before, and then you know maybe come back here and get uh, a few hours. You might as well stay sleep. there. Just yeah, I might as well just throw the bit, bit the of altar wine, bag. a few beers. Yeah, and then. Um, you know, start singing at 7.30. Now, one thing that's happening here in the United States right now, in fact, uh, tonight, b- between now and the wee hours of the morning, a cold front is coming down. All that, the, those those awful Canadians are sending us this very, <laughs> very cold air. Uh, and it yeah, is... Well, giving you the cold shoulder. Oh, yeah. M- more than that. Uh, the temperature here in Roswell, Georgia, in northern Georgia... It's supposed to get uh, well. The wind with the wind chill factored in, it's going to be like minus four degrees, minus five degrees Fahrenheit, which I'm not sure exactly how that equates to centigrade, but I think it's like uh, minus 20, you, 21, something like that. Thirty-six degrees of frost. I think we understand that's going to be pretty chilly. <laughs> it's going to be really, really cold. And I'm kind of. I, I was telling Nick and Liz before we started recording today's show that I actually went out before we started the recording. Yeah, I went to, uh, to the storage unit and got my little propane uh, camp stove because this apartment that I'm in is 100% electric. And I'm thinking, you know, if, you know, when sometimes when it gets really cold, the electrical grid goes down or trees, you know, freeze and fall over and take down power lines. I'm thinking if we lose electricity in this place, I'm going to be done for. Uh, I'm not sure how long I'll be able to stay in here because it's going to be so ding-dang cold. Uh, the ambient oh, there'll temperature. there'll be some nice bar nearby. That's what I mean. I'm thinking. And, yeah. But just in case, <laughs> I, I went ahead and uh, got this uh, camp stove. I went to a uh, Publix grocery store and got a couple of cans of stuff that I could you know, open up and heat up on my propane stove. So and you I can make coffee. sniff the propane and then uh, yeah, I could do that. feel better. Actually, I guess it's I said propane, but I think it's like a propane-butane mix. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Anyway, do you have in antifreeze in your car, Jeff? Uh, do I have antifreeze? Well, yeah. I mean, I think all cars have antifreeze. I'm not sure if it's rated down to like the single digits or not. Yeah, that's kind of a problem because people who don't get a lot of uh, low temperatures, yeah. their antifreeze is only rated for like minus a bit. Yeah. And then when you get a big freeze, all of a sudden your engine block turns into a block. Yeah. And then that's... you're really worried. Well, I guess if I had to, I could walk over and hope that some of the Canton Street, the historic Roswell area places are open and uh, serving food, maybe, and and beer. I did buy some extra beer, you know, just in case. Got to, you know, <laughs> yes. got to keep the you might personal need to warm that up before antifreeze. You drink it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, be an adventure. Yeah, it will be an adventure. Now, I was hoping that Steph would have joined us by I know, now, well, but uh, not yet. Do you want to show the picture or not? Yeah, let's go ahead and show the picture. This was sent in by one of our our um, uh, APG community members, and um, it is, a, I think, what did he say? It was a, up in Indiana? No, Illinois. Joliet. Joliet, Joliet Illinois. Illinois. Baumgartner, is that uh, who it was, uh, Liz? Do you remember yes. the... Yes, yes, sir. Baumgartner? Yeah. He's been a longtime listener, yeah. and he said he was at a um, Sam's Club, I believe, a big box kind of place, and he saw this in the uh, parking lot. I didn't even know that Steph had a yellow uh, Volkswagen Beetle convertible. 
Uh, but there it is right there. There's mm. evidence of Dr. Steph on the, uh, on the uh, license. I think plate. that Jeep would drive all over that. No, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. The land of Lincoln. Yeah. No, she comes from somewhere else. Jerry Baumgartner. Thank you, Liz, for looking that up. Anyway, so we thought we'd uh, throw that up. and uh, Perhaps she's a that. rental and she uses that company so much they've got a special car for her. Oh, it could be. Oh, Laura says yet another vehicle that goes topless. Yep. <laughs> topless theme. Yes. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. All right. And uh, that's, that's all I have. What are you up to, uh, Nick? Well, surprisingly little has happened. Uh, actually, unsurprisingly little has happened, actually. Um, about the only thing that I've got to uh, talk about is the fact that you'll recall I went to the St. Benedict's School. Uh, their junior school has an aviation club. And uh, they, uh, Rob, uh, the lovely headmaster there, occasionally uh, asked me to come over and uh, give them a little uh, talk about, you know, flying. Uh, we were talking about uh, bringing an aeroplane from New York to London and we sort of reconstructed the flight and everything the crew had to do. So that was fun. Uh, and I did mention to Rob that the la well, one of the previous times I'd been over there, there aviation club had given us a couple of little recordings uh which were fun for the apg which we have we the but who oh, do they like mo more than anybody else that's what i'd like to know <laughs> oh thank you Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They certainly do. They've never met Captain. They've Gale, never met you, though, have they? My description of you was sufficient for them to want to say that. Thank you. You must have said nice things. <laughs> anyway, coming up to Christmas, I thought it would be nice if they did something else for us. Mm -hmm. So I asked Rob if he could arrange that. Sadly, um, all the pres the parents were chomping at the bit to get their kids out of the after-school after activity because mm -hmm. we'd overrun a little bit. So we couldn't do it while I was there. But Rob did send me something, and uh, perhaps we could play it. Okay, let's see if we uh, it'll work. Here we go. Awesome. Now, wow, there you go. Wasn't that nice? Were they, were they in a... Uh, <laughs> oh, Excuse my. me, it's given me... Uh, wow. I'm, I'm allergic to these. <laughs> to were they, were they in a sewer pipe or something? Um. Well, uh, yeah, uh, the record... <laughs> I think um, uh, Rob needs to invest a little more <laughs> in his sound recording equipment. Uh, come on, Rob, stop cheapskating us. Uh, you know, get some decent gear. Maybe we need to send him uh, some I did gear. my best with it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was a little bit... Um... <laughs> no, I loved it. It was great. It was really, really great. You, at least we like... could hear what they were singing. Yeah, it absolutely. Was it was very clear. Uh, you, you, you tweaked it just it right. Um now, next time you're going to have to get somebody to say, we love you, Captain Nick. <laughs> the best. You're the best. Nobody loves me. You're that's the only the one fun. that's bothered to visit us here, <laughs> Captain Nick. Well, anyway. that's true. 
Uh, but on the other hand, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in awe of Rob, who does so much work mm. and then also, uh, you know, imbibes this group of youngsters with his uh, wonderful um, uh, enthusiasm for aviation. So, uh, you know, he's a great ambassador for us and for aviation in general. And I have no doubt that uh, he's generating some uh, youngsters there that will aspire to become airline captains one day. Yes, I'm sure. And uh, Rob, we have to mention that uh, he has been a longtime listener and a longtime financial supporter of our show. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Rob. You're awesome. Lovely chap. Yeah. What were you saying, Liz? Does Nick want to talk about his cover art? Do you? Oh, yes. Nick, would you like to talk about this beautiful work of art uh, from our last show, the uh, 548 episode? Yeah, it was a, it was an odd one, this one, because all we really got were a bunch of um, uh, <laughs> uh, um, objects. Uh, there were suggestions from the uh, listening audience at the time. Uh, and uh, it just reflects a little uh, items that happened in the show. So it was horseshoes, hand grenades, and holes, and that's what I had to work with. So uh, we've got a – this is an official horseshoe um, – I don't know what you call it. Is it a rink or a pit or uh, – It's a pitch. But, yeah, anyway, this, this is an official American uh, th horseshoe-throwing uh, – lane including the uh, uh, concrete and, and the uh, grass and the grass strip in the middle or is that something you added no that's that's all part of it wow i've never seen anything like that before yeah well i i when if you i googled them and of course some places they've got sort of international standard ones and there's a whole you know a whole row of these uh so you know oh. they they for big competitions anyway we also had to include a bit of uh uh, bulls or patank is it sometimes called in there so we've got the horseshoes around the uh the nail the pin whatever it is in the middle we've got the um french or similar um throwing bowling game uh, patank we've got some hand grenades in there and that's the center but of course around is the the periphery we've got an a12 being raced by um, Father Christmas uh, in his sleigh. We've got uh, an Earth Rise with uh, the moon there, and there's a Santa standing on the moon looking at <laughs> uh, the first lady to ever loop de loop. And uh, the one thing I did notice about this particular lady, she was uh, she was only ever a passenger. She didn't fly herself, but she passengered in an airplane that flew the first loop. Uh, she didn't quite understand how to wear her goggles. <laughs> if you ever blow the picture up, she's got her goggles on all squint. <laughs> which oh, boy. was hilarious. Oh. Um, <laughs> and, uh, of course, the, we've got this, uh, this depiction of the, um, of the original uh, Father Christmas that comes from Finland. And he was half goat, half man, and he was used as a, a sort of a threat, a bit like the bogeyman, motivator, uh, I think, um, for children. So to ensure that they remained good uh, over the Christmas period, and the threat, apparently, according to this, this old picture, 
which was uh, made uh, and depicts this half goat, half man. He's boiling some child, and in the sack beside the boiling the pot is another <laughs> child, which is with his hands coming out the top of a sack, which is <laughs> just a, a slightly distressing <laughs> image for children at Christmas. But Merry you Christmas, know, kids. It's, it's historic. That's, all, that's mm-hmm. why you know. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Well, and it's it's a known fact that kids are much tastier when you boil them. <laughs> yes, very tender. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Got to do it slow. Yeah, I, I did. I did. Uh, I noticed he's wearing big oven mitts <laughs> to yeah. stop himself being, um, you know, when he's dealing Burned. with his cooking mm-hmm. pot there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you got to be practical in these matters. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah. And I'm still waiting for the hate mail from Finland, but it hasn't arrived yet. Yeah, we don't have anybody in Finland that listens, so we're safe. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting, though, that there, there are an awful lot of um, Christmas flights to uh, Lapland, part of Finland, hmm. um, where they go and meet uh, the Father Christmas it's more, it's a more conventional Father Christmas that because it's quite an expensive journey to go up there and fly and uh, go to the, the Father Christmas land that they have up there. Uh, it, a more conventional one. I think if people saw the original uh, Finnish uh, Father Christmas, oh, they might change. Someone from Finland's in the chat room. <laughs> oh my goodness, we have somebody from Finland in our live audience, Nick. Blue, oh no, really? Blue van. Blue van. Well, oh either my God, he van. lives in a blue van or his name is Blue Van. Blue, blue van. All right. Okay. Or well, both. explain to us uh, where this child boiling <laughs> Father <laughs> Christmas came from. Yes. Does that happen quite uh, a bit there in uh, Finland this time of year? Um, Did that sir? scar him as a child? Yeah, it may have scarred him as a child, though. You're right. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that you're here okay. to kind Welcome, of Welcome, Blue Van. Face it. Yes. Nikki. Yes, Nikki's right. Nikki. Hi, Nikki. That's right. We've uh, we've received feedback from uh, a yes, couple of people have. in Finland. I believe yeah. maybe this is one yeah. of them. I think maybe it was you, Nikki. Was it, did you send us some audio feedback or some some kind of feedback in the past? Something there was a gentleman beer. that was Sorry. out in the woods there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, glad that you're. Well, here. I have covered a couple of uh, accidents in plane tales mm-hmm. that occurred. I, I think it was Finland, or certainly in Scandinavia, but. I had a feeling it was Finland, and I did get some hmm. feedback from uh, some people up there. But Very positive feedback, I'm sure. Anyway, I, I think we'll. Uh, the nice thing about um, the Finnish war that I had been talking about was, of course, Finland. Oh, I had entirely forgotten about that story. Uh, Julapuki, that's right. Mm-hmm. Julapuki is the name of this half goat, half man. But now he's, and just, now regular he's just a Santa regular Claus. Santa Claus. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. That's what happens in the modern generation, isn't it? Uh, they, mm. they can't handle the old Jilla Pookies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks for that. Yeah. Blue Van. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, good to see you. Okay. Well, that I believe is it for the cover art and uh, now would be a good time for us to talk about the coffee fund and we're going to sing with jeff smith jingle master johnny how much more coffee no thanks i love coffee i love tea i love the apg community coffee and tea and the java and me 
guest host with us, uh, yeah, Aviator Tony, and he sang along as well. And then it was fun doing the editing and matching up all of our singing uh, together, including yours, Liz. It was had me laughing out loud, literally. Anyway, let's get on with the Coffee Fund. Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially if you have the resources to do so. A couple of different ways to do it. One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And uh, since our last show, a very nice, generous contribution one time by Peter Kent. Thank you very much. We do appreciate that. And that's it. Uh, no uh, new patrons. Uh, that's the other way that you can support the show financially and become a patron of the show via patreon.com. Information about how you can join this wonderful group of people is on our website, airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. Check it out and join these fine folks and the uh, Coffee Fun Cadre, the Coffee Bar Club. You'll be glad you did. We will too. All right, this from longtime APG community member back from the old uh, ca- uh, Catholic pilot days, Kevin St. John, uh, sent this from his iPad. Uh, hello, Captains Jeff, Nick, Rick, Dr. Steph, and Vintage Aircraft Pilot Nick. I hope this email finds the crew in good spirits. I couldn't resist sending this in given all the joking over the years about food poisoning. Here is a real food poisoning incident involving a B-787 co-pilot and the flight being diverted to Bangor uh, Airport in Micah's home state of Maine. Uh, Wishing you all the best with winds appropriate for the different flight phases. Longtime APG syndrome patient from the Catholic pilot days when it was unknown. (laughs) Yes, not a lot of people listening to it back then. Uh, and he says, respectfully, Kevin St. John. And this is an excerpt from some of the communications, uh, liveatc.net. Here we go. Let's listen. Boston Center, good afternoon. Tom Jet 564, heavy uh, on a band call, diverting to Banger. Uh, uh, to maintain 11000 on 29901. Tom Jet uh, 1, sorry, 564. I think at this point on this frequency, there we're only getting the communication from the flight side of things. But later on, we'll hear the uh, air traffic controller communications as well. And, uh, subject five six four, can we have the latest weather, please, for um, Okay, it uh, is the first officer that uh, unfortunately looks like he has got food poisoning. So uh, the captain, assisted by uh, one of the cabin crews in the flight deck at the moment, he had the fish. We'll just fit in with uh, whatever's going. 3-3 three, three left, good for us, Tom Jet, uh, 5 six, four. We'd just like vectors to lose height, and uh, we're not going to rush this uh, just myself now. And then, uh, Tom Jet, 5 six, four, heavy on a bank call and on a divert. Tom Jet, 5 six, four, heavy, banger approach. Banger altimeter is 2989. Verify you're leaving for level 206411. Uh, copy 2989, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8 9, 8
Object 564 Heavy, Roger, fly heading 130. Vector for the visual approach to runway 33. Information Victor is current. I could read you Victor whenever you're ready. Okay, heading on 130. Object 564, Roger, expect the uh, ILS continue on the 130 heading. Send and maintain 5000. Uh, Do you have the ADIS at Bangor? It's currently Victor. Information Victor is current. If you don't have it, I can read it to you if it's easier. Uh, somebody just read it out to me on the previous. Uh, so we all back here, and now we see the Victor. Uh, 2989. Thank you for that. Uh, one question regarding the nature of the emergency. Uh, where would you like the uh, medical crew to meet you guys? Which door of the aircraft? Uh, if they just come to uh, the standard exit, uh, it's just the head crew point, so he's uh, been there a couple of times, Tomcat 564, and uh, he's told it was coming wide. Tomcat 564 Heavy, thank you for that. We'll make sure that they meet you at the first door. Yeah, either the first or second door on the left-hand side of the track. Roger. Tomcat 564 is established by Platinum. Thank you. So 564 heavy contact tower 120.7. thanks, Jeff. Subject 564. 3, quick win. 3, 3, Subject 564. Subject 564 heavy, quick question, we have a minute. Four, go ahead. Subject 564 heavy, uh, City wants to know are you able to continue without the first officer or is there another first officer on board? Unfortunately, uh, uh, we only have one, Subject 564. Roger, I'll let them know. Thank you. Or fortunately. Yeah. Rescue 3 will be here in about uh, one minute. Next aircraft to land is the heavy Boeing 787. Thank you. Tom's at 564 Heavy. They're going to, uh, I think they're going to put you at the gate because you're planning to not leave, correct? Uh, I we're not going anywhere. Right, so uh, they'll pick you up at Lima and follow, follow me at Lima. Follow the follow me at Lima, thanks. Subject 564. Follow the follow me. Um, cool. You know, I really love, I think that that controller that asked about the ATIS information, Victor, I think he must listen to our show because you know that that's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> it's like, oh, would you please pick up a, you know, you're in the middle of a medical yeah. divert or whatever, and they're ex asking you to get, like, I'll read it to you if you don't have the information or whatever. I'm thinking, yes. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, that's a great service yeah. if you could, you know, if the control is able. Yeah. And I think 90% of them would. There are just a few who are just jobs worth mm -hmm. and, and won't, wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I think um, the call sign actually is because this was previously Thompson. Oh. Uh, so that's where you got Tom Jet from. Ah, uh, when it, that makes sense. Uh, the travel company is now owned by Tui. Ah. Um, and another comment, I uh, think. Because the the first officers regularly get drilled in a in mm. actions following their yeah. captain dying, I, I you know I regularly got asked uh, you know you the simulator instructor at the back can speak to both pilots or he can separate you and he can just talk quietly to one yeah. of you so you're the only person the voice his voice comes only through your headset and the number of times I was said. So okay, Nick. On halfway through the takeoff at nine knots, I want you to die quietly. <laughs> so, yes, I'm good. You'd be flying the takeoff, <laughs> and you'd everything, and you just 
you just slump back in your seat a little bit, <laughs> let your head drop, and then because he called rotate and nothing would happen because you're dead. <laughs> can can you play dead for the rest of the sim period? <laughs> well, I used to think, oh, that's great. Now I can relax for a while. Um, but they very rarely, um, you know, uh, ask the the captains to show their ability at bringing the aircraft in the single pilot, mm -hmm. um, which I, I guess is fair enough because they should know what the hell to do. It's yeah. the first officer's the one to be tested. But interestingly, he has got one of his cabin crew uh, into the flight deck, mm -hmm. and our cabin crew were trained to perform various uh, duties uh, in the event of a um, the first officer or vice versa becoming unwell and vacating on the land single pilot and uh, they were drilled in basically reading the checklist um so it, it which could be very useful uh, although sometimes you know if they weren't very practiced you'd spend more time showing them which checklist you want read and how to pronounce all the abbreviations you mm -hmm. get, you get. You know, you, you spend more time doing that than you would actually getting help, but there you go. I don't think um, we do they, that at uh, Acme. I'm pretty sure. That I've never heard of that. Yeah, well, it was it was a, it was a virgin thing. I'm sure they still uh, practice and do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's it's nice for the cabin crew to feel like they're performing a, an important duty if, uh, you know, the, one of the pilots is sick. And I would love um, to volunteer to drill the flight attendants. Um <laughs> on, uh, on these uh, whatever they do yeah, during these situations. Oh, I can't say Is that. Twenty twenty two. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like, ask questions and you know help. Yeah, them. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. What do you think on that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, main. Uh, we know uh, what you meant. Main Marin uh, or Main Marin, I should say. It says it's uh, pronounced Bangor. Yeah, I, I. I started to say it like that and then i said banger i think because of the uh tom jet uh captain said banger uh, but he must be thinking about breakfast apparently uh right banger bangers banger and mash in or, wales or though no um, but bangers in wales bank what the rich the original banger is yeah. in wales oh in wales okay mm -hmm. well I th i'm thinking oh, the, there's when a banger said, in wales yes but i think that the captain mm -hmm. uh said he said banger and I think it's because he was thinking about breakfast, bangers and mash, yeah. right? Probably. Or is that a Probably breakfast thing or is not? He was seem, he very keen to spend That's the dinner. night there. He was going, no, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we get to spend an <laughs> extra night away in. from home. He wants some lobster. I've got to find the best hotel I can in Banger, yeah. which is what. probably like one and a half stars. So I think and, that uh, uh, Banger and uh, Driller is a very similar um, connotation. <laughs> Oh, okay. Anyway, um, I think we should move on before Moving I get along, into Jeff. any more trouble. <laughs> Where's Steph? Would we need her? Yeah. Yeah. Steph wouldn't help. She'd just egg us on, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, let's oh, continue with this one here from uh, item number four from Richard. Uh, with the recent event involving uh, an A320 colliding with a fire truck on the runway, I totally understand the need for each vehicle to get a specific instruction to enter the runway, but what's the latest procedure uh, if there is an, an incident? I remember the podcast Nick did with Adam Spink regarding the British Airways Boeing 777 crash at Heathrow. He said with everything by that was going off, he also had tens of vehicles each calling up on frequency asking for permission to enter the runway. 
Is this still the case if there's an accident, or can a controller now give a blanket clearance to everyone and say something like, quote, there's been a crash, the runway's closed, go do what you need to do, sort of thing. Surely that would be better? What are your thoughts? And then uh, we decided to ask Adam, Adam Spink, uh, what he thought about this, uh, because he's an expert, and he sent us in some audio feedback. Hi, guys. It's Adam from the UK. Um, I'll try and keep this quick so so Nick might hopefully stay awake while he listens. Um, <laughs> just a little bit of uh, response to uh, Richard, I believe, who sent some feedback in about the um, the practices and procedures used for getting vehicle, emergency vehicles onto the runway. Obviously, we've all probably seen the video of the um, the A320 colliding with the uh, the fire vehicles um, that that occurred a few weeks ago now. Um, and I think he asked if there was um, referred to the Speedbird 38 crash at Heathrow and and obviously others around the world that have happened where fire vehicles will call up on the frequency to um, obtain ATC's permission to enter the runway. And I think he asked whether there was a um, a case if that's still the same or if, it's, if um, things have changed and whether the controller could give a blanket clearance onto the runway. Um, the short answer is no. <laughs> the uh, Nothing's really changed um, as far as the UK is concerned. Anyway, obviously, I can only speak for the UK. In, in terms of whether it should change or not, there's there are a few things to think about there. Obviously, if there was a blanket clearance that ATC could give to allow vehicles onto the runway, then you need some foolproof method of ensuring all the drivers of all the vehicles who will want to enter the runway know that the blanket clearance has been given. So the first question is, are all the fire vehicles listening to ATC? At the time that the blanket clearance is given, um, obviously fire vehicles will have their what we would call their domestic frequency, their company frequency, the the usually the UHF um, radio frequency that they'll use to talk to each other and the fire um, station or fire stations if it's a large airport um, to coordinate their response internally. They might the 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 commander of the fire service we would call fire one or fire two might be operating on the leader net, so talking to the marshalling vehicles as well. So there's lots of radio frequencies being active at the time of an incident. So we'd want to ensure that if there was a blanket clearance, that all the vehicles understood it correctly and acted appropriately. Obviously, if they didn't, they'd probably call up anyway, which sort of defeats the object of developing procedures to um, to create a blanket clearance. And then, of course... The, the downsides, the what ifs, what about if that blanket clearance hasn't been blanket clearance has not been given for some reason, but the vehicles assume that it has been or think that it has been or heard a specific instruction to one vehicle to enter the runway and then assumed all the vehicles could enter the runway and we might end up with a situation not unlike, um, sorry, not uh, too dissimilar to what we saw uh, a few weeks ago where a vehicle enters a runway, especially at a multiple runway airport. That's that's a key issue as well. Um, a vehicle might enter a runway that is actually still being used for live traffic. So, yes, it would. Um, certainly in some cases, it would reduce the workload for the individual control at the time. But 
it's the actual mechanics that we need to think about, about how to get that information to all the vehicle drivers. If there was some, you know, in the future, all the fire service vehicles, you could, you know, posit that they might have data link um, clearances available and some sort of moving that display in the in the cab in the fire vehicle so that ATC could hit a button and it would a flashing message would pop up saying you, you can enter this runway, but do not enter that runway, you know, make it very clear. But so there's all sorts of things that, that we need to think about there. Um, hope that's given some thoughts and, and oh, hang on. Yeah, I can hear snoring. Nick's fallen asleep. Somebody give him a poke. See ya. Bye. Wake up, Nick. Wake up. <laughs> oh, my. He, uh, he's out. Okay. You want to go ahead and uh, see if they have anybody there at the residence that uh, is trained and drilled in uh, those procedures to remove the captain from his podcast chair? Are you on it? Maybe Liz? his dog will come and calling, lick him. Calling 911. I'm calling Jillia. I'm, I'm summoning Jillia. Oh, wait. Oh, hey, Nick. <laughs> Sorry. I You've been out for like 30 40 minutes. 40 winks there. <laughs> well, who can blame me? That, that went on a bit. Very Adam, nice, Adam. Very thank nice. You. Thank yeah. you for, uh, for, for taking the time to uh, send us some yeah, feedback. For filling out 15 minutes or so so I could have a couple of beers. <laughs> Very good of you, old chap. So thanks again, Adam, for sending in the audio feedback. We always appreciate that. And uh, hopefully that answered your question, Richard. All right. Let's continue. But thanks for the picture of clouds. I've forgotten what oh, they yeah. look like, Richard. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they probably look very similar to what you remember. Just like that, that picture that he. Yeah, white fluffy things. Yes. Yeah, very nice. Let's begin, or let's continue with this feedback from Robert in Tucker, Georgia. He says, I thought you all might enjoy this new sassy little flight attendant, or FA. And this is from a Facebook page, and this is Robert's little cousin, her first flight. And here we go, a little video, it's very cute. One, two, three. My first flight. All right, so. Uh, it's a picture of a flight attendant at the uh, L1 door, the left one, the, the the common entrance door for a lot of airplanes. And she's holding the PA handset um, to uh, and, and showing her, you know, that she's pushing this button and then she's going to say something into the handset. And let's hear it one more time. My first flight. My first flight. Isn't that cute? That's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you very much, Robert, in Tucker, Georgia. Yes. All right. Continuing on. Uh, this from... <laughs> you didn't pick up on that, did you? No. What did you say? Tucker? Well, you said Robert in Tucker, Georgia. Yeah. Is I supposed to Robert Tucker in yeah. Georgia? Oh, is that what you said? Robert Tucker in Georgia? So I, I completely ignored what you said. <laughs> you said at the intro, Robert in Tucker, Georgia. Yes. Which is correct. I assumed his name was Robert Tucker. No, it's not. No, it's this not. This is Robert, no, who not. is normally in uh, near the Big Chicken in Mayretta. And ah. Now. So um, I got it wrong. Yes, you did. Okay. Yes. I didn't realize you had a but place see, but, for such a stupid the, name as Tucker. But that's the thing okay. that I keep doing wrong every time when I see Robert Tucker. I 
say it as if it's his last name. And they go, wait a minute. No, he lives in <laughs> In Tucker. which case, I apologize profusely to both you and Robert in Tucker, Georgia. We accept your apology. Yeah, okay, okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, like the first time I got it right, uh, then we go through all that. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, this is from Simon. And he says, Dear Captain Jeff and the APG crew, my name is Simon which is the Polish spelling for Simon. So he spells it S-Z-Y or S-Z-Y-M-O-N. I discovered your podcast after hearing a segment by Captain Nick on the A320 podcast and have been hooked ever since. When were you on the A320 podcast? while ago i think yeah must, must have been a while sorry i lost my mouse there uh I, they pay better than apg so well, I'm on yeah, everybody well. does yeah <laughs> uh, i don't agree with that anyway i play apg on my commute to work most days and really enjoy listening to your take on all things aviation not only is the podcast entertaining but full of interesting knowledge opinions and insights uh, you can, they must have uh, legal uh, marijuana use uh, there in uh, yes, in wherever Poland. he's from. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay. Chicago. I think he's from Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, you could call me a bit of an av geek. Uh, my love for airplanes started early on when I would take trips on the Boeing 767 from K- Krakow, Poland, to Chicago to visit my dad, who was working here in the States. Years passed, and my parents decided to move the family permanently to Chicago. We lived right under the approach from Midway Airport. From then on, my eyes always seemed to be glued to the sky. After high school, I studied automotive technology and started working at a shop fixing cars. I enjoyed the work, but realized after some time that I was ready for a different career. One fateful day, I accidentally misprogrammed the GPS on a family camping trip And we ended up taking the long way around Lake Winnebago, and we came upon a small airfield in the small town of Oshkosh. It was Air Venture Week. (laughs) Oh, just coincidentally, I guess. After we found uh, High Cliff State Park, where our campground was, my dad and I quickly made our way back to the festival. I'd never seen so many airplanes in my life. On our way out, I spotted a mechanic doing a check on a... Uh, F-16 fighter jet. As soon as I returned home, I applied at my local university to study aviation maintenance. After graduating in 2014, I started working for a contract maintenance company at O'Hare Airport. After a few years, I was able to land my dream job working for Acme Air Tech Ops. I can honestly say that I don't work. I just get to hang out with my good friends and play around with airplanes all day. I even have the privilege of maintaining the 717. We called the MD-88 the Mad Dog. The 717 is affectionately known as the Angry Puppy. Uh, Thank you for creating such a wonderful podcast. As a car mechanic, it was easy to drive a customer's car and understand what was wrong. With airplanes, it's a bit different, and I appreciate getting to know the flight crew side of things. Cheers, blue skies, and tailwinds all the way. Best regards. Simon with a Z or Z, Simon S. What, what a lovely feedback. I mean, yeah. that's very heartwarming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Someone who uh, has found his way into uh, aviation as a career and thoroughly, you can tell by what he says, thoroughly enjoys it. Because most people sort of, they might get into the industry and 
after a while they'd become a bit jaundiced like an old captain and get, get a bit grumpy and mm-hmm. they whinge about it. But Like us. It's, it's like, <laughs> like ah. us. But Simon really seems to be enjoying it. So well done. And yeah. I'm so glad you're having a, a great time in your career. Yes. And thanks for sending in that feedback. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, brilliant. Really right. uh, nice. Maybe one nice of these job. days when I'm uh, up in Chicago with a layover. It's been a while since I've had a Chicago layover, but we can get together and uh, have a beer or two or some some good uh, some good Chicago dogs, hot dogs. Mm. Oh yeah, those those were. Wasn't good. that good? All right. Yeah. Um, hey, we have some more audio feedback. This time it's from JJ Pittsburgh, and uh, here we go. Greetings, APG crew. It's JJ Pittsburgh. As usual, I'm in my car. This time I'm on my way to do a delivery. Um, I'm in a rental car. Unfortunately, my um, car, which you've commented, you've commented on the engine on my previous feedback. Um, It's a, well, I don't know the details of the engine of my regular vehicle, but it's a, um, 17 Nissan Altima. Unfortunately, they had transmission problems. My transmission went out, so I have a rental, but I'm going to get my car back, regular car back on the road, but that's neither here nor there. In case you're wondering about that strong engine, yes, the engine's been awesome for the four years I've had that car. Um, but anyway, I was writing because I was in my Uber earlier today and I had a passenger. I learned something new, or at least a new um, opinion, that um, my passenger informed me that the Earth is flat. And I kind of always thought it was, um, you know, round, because I always, it's like a sphere, right? I mean, because uh, that's what I always learned. But, you know, in light of this new news that was presented to me, I was wondering for all you pilots, did, have you ever flown over the edge of the earth? Because since I do have the new news that it is flat, I was curious. Because who better to have a vantage point than you guys because you're up above. So anyway, I was um, asking that and it's a cold day here in Pittsburgh, about 40 degrees, but it's beautiful and sunny. and. I can't ask for a better Sunday. Um, wanted to say hello and, of course, peace and love, peace and love. Peace and love, peace and love to you as well, JJ. Um, so the, the part about the what we have experienced or witnessed, we really can't talk about it. I wish we could, but that's kind of in the category of the chemtrails. Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I couldn't possibly mention that I caught sight once of a uh, the the disc that our world is being supported on the back of four elephants that were huge elephants that were themselves standing on the back of a vast space turtle. Um, so, yeah, that was obviously a hallucination that I... I'd brought about from reading too much Terry Pratchett. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to say and, and emphasize again, Captain Nick, that we are not allowed to talk. No, no, no about absolutely not. Our lips are sealed. Stuff. Yeah. I was, I think I mentioned this on the show, I don't know, 
last year, a couple of years ago, that I was on the MARTA train going to work, and this guy came on, and he just started quizzing me about, you know, the the Earth and being a sphere or being flat, and I'm thinking, really, there really are people out there that honestly believe that the Earth is really flat, and it's just amazing to me. Anyway, ah, yeah, I've never seen the edge of it. Uh, thanks, JJ, for sending that in. So Always. you wouldn't see much. There's a lot of spray from all the water that flows over the edge. Ah, uh, that's a good point. All right, uh, Sam Bolog sent in this. He said, "I was listening to episode 412. 412. Oh my gosh, how long ago was that? That was like years ago." Anyway, regarding liquid spillage on the flight controls, attached is a simple cure. The FAA should approve this, provided you use one hand while drinking from it. Although it does have handles on both sides, so you can use both hands. But I can see it might be a safety thing if you took both hands away from the control yoke or the side stick controller to hold this um, sippy cup Uh it's obviously designed for Boeing pilots because you've obviously got two handles there for holding, just like the Boeing mm-hmm. control column. That's true. So, I think you're right. Yeah, an Airbus one version. would only have one hand. Oh, good point. Yeah. That's very, very perceptive. Yes. Yeah, uh, And uh, I might point out that I actually flew with a device, which I'm now putting on the screen, uh-huh. uh, which was very similar. So it's a... It was a um, Starbucks mug. Mm-hmm. Uh, other coffee mugs are available. Yeah. And on the side, or oh, I better turn it that way around, uh-huh. I wrote that, which says, Nick's mug, white with one sweetener, please. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very nice. So if I sent it back with the cabin crew, because they'd always forget exactly how you liked it, and then they'd end up ringing you like 10 minutes later saying, how do you like your coffee again? <laughs> <laughs> and I would go, it was tea, and it was white with one sweetener. <laughs> but no, at least if I uh, let, gave them this mug, and actually they were very appreciative, but you had to make sure that the bottom circumference was small enough to fit in the Airbus coffee mm. holders. They're very narrow, by the they? side. They are, and they're specifically designed for an Airbus mug, which mm. was n- not like this with a clever contain you know a hole mm-hmm. uh, a top mm-hmm. stop it spilling it was just an open top mug and uh, i remember sitting at jfk waiting for my aircraft to come in so i could get on it and take it back to london and they were about 45 minutes late and when i uh, quizzed the crew on their way in turns out that they'd had a really nasty electrics failure and it had been caused as was discovered by the engineers eventually that um, over the years this aircraft had been flying, the spillages from the coffee cup went down onto the tray where the captain's flight bag was uh, resting. And um, because occasionally liquid got on there, there used to be a couple of drain holes drilled, but they hadn't put anything to conduct the liquid that might spill there to a safe place and it was dripping directly onto one of the uh, emergency transformers uh, Mm. that was in part of the electrical system so or just one of the transformers because there were like three 
Mm-hmm. And eventually this transformer blew out and took out half the, half the aircraft electric system. Oh, my. <laughs> Oops. So, you know, we were all warned about... They didn't redesign the damn tray or anything clever like that. They just said, oh, you've got to be really careful with your coffee cups in future. <laughs> so yeah. I bought myself one of these. Oh, awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Sam, for that. And we're going to move on with Tim. Uh, you know, Tim Van Ram. You know, you ever heard of that guy? Yeah. He was with us on the uh, live audience Fine earlier. Chap. He might still be. We'll see. Uh, season's greetings, APG crew. I was excited to hear Captain Jeff read Greg Peterson's feedback on Peanuts creator Charles Schultz on the occasion of his birthday, episode 547. I would like to add a few items that should be in, in addition to the few facts shared in that podcast. Charles oh, Schultz I love this. lived in Santa Rosa, California, in the county of Sonoma. Both the city and county had the wisdom to name the regional airport after this gifted cartoonist. The airport is about 60 miles north of San Francisco in wonderful wine country. Yes, I love Sonoma County. The airport, of course, has lots of peanuts art on display. Also, and I did say peanuts. uh, Also at the airport is a fabulous display of aircraft at the Pacific Coast Air Museum and is staffed by outstanding and friendly volunteers. Finally, who can forget the very hip recording of Snoopy and the Red Baron by the Royal Guardsmen, circa 1966? The snappy tune reached number two on Billboard's Hot 100. Now, uh, there's a link in the show notes that he's included in his uh, feedback, uh, and you can listen to Snoopy and the Red Baron by the Royal Guardsmen uh, on your own time. I'm not going to play it because I know for sure that 10, that's going to... 20, 30, 40, 50 or more, the bloody Red Baron was running up the score... Seventy men died trying to end that spree of the bloody red baron of Germany. So you don't even have to go now to that link. You just heard it from <laughs> Nick, which was a much better rendition, honestly. Than I don't think so. Royal but I see. I do remember that song. I used to love it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Anyway, best wishes I to all. I doubt I've got it right, but well, it sounded good to me. Ago. It sounded good to me. Best wishes to all in the APG community for a happy Christmas holiday. Tim Van Ram, and again, links to the Sonoma Sonoma County Airport, the Pacific Coast Air Museum, and the YouTube video of the Royal Guardsmen singing "Snoopy" and the Red Baron. You want to sing us out? No, <laughs> okay. I don't know anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Um, let's continue with the next item. Where'd it go? Uh, here we go. Yes, this is Merle. Uh, he said, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Santa Claus. A local ultralight pilot is bringing holiday cheer to the area by flying Santa's sleigh around and Santa's sleigh around and dropping gifts to the good little boys and girls at the local airport. Hopefully he gives the bad kids a pass and skips the coal. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the article from... I love the Grinch. Uh, let's see, WNEP.com. Yeah, so we have this uh, this little uh, compilation of uh, photos from the Santa Claus flyover at the local airport, and uh, we'll include this in the show notes. But uh, 
Uh, it's very clever. Looks like he's in one of those. What do they call that? Uh, powered uh, glide? No, powered parachute. What do they call that? Para wings. No, uh, that's paraglider. That's the maybe shape, isn't it? Paraglider. That. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, all dressed up in uh, Santa and uh, his uh, elf helpers uh, are there as and well. And the Grinch. The Grinch. Yes. Very nice. So uh, thank you, Merle. I for... should really know because one of my friends, he's, he's a few years older than me mm -hmm. and he's become yeah, that's a, what he does, a, yeah. a powered parrowing. A paraglider. Pilot. That's what they call it. A, a, a trike yeah. powered well, paraglider. Yeah. And uh, he's got a tricycle that's got a big motor, a para motor. Okay, a para motor you, too. Sure. Yeah, I guess it's yeah. called different things. Well, depending where you're wasn't talking. there a famous bloke in the states that kept on invading, you know, tennis matches and football games and things in one of these? Hmm. Used no, to, I'm not sure. The f something fly. Oh, anyway. Anyway, hmm. by the by, don't worry about me. Okay, I won't. Although we do. <laughs> um, number, 11, <laughs> number 11 uh, this is from Mike um, Mike Leibowitz uh, he says hi uh, this was yet another great tale he's talking about the old pilot's plane tale on episode 546 he said I want to tell you how much I enjoy them all please tell Captain Nick that he fell prey to a common mistake the hero in Around the World in 80 Days was named Phileas Fogg not Phineas uh, Mike is a Cirrus pilot, who not a serious pilot, but a Cirrus pilot, who is proud to be a patron. And uh, so he's trying to keep us above the 50% Yeah, I appreciate that mm -hmm. enormously. I did actually reply to, mm -hmm. uh, to Mike. Yes. Uh, do you want me to read that out? Yes, please do. Okay. So I, I sent, uh, by return, I <laughs> sent Mike a little message saying, Indeed I did, Mike, and thank you for the correction. I've slapped my hands with a ruler as a punishment. Ow. In my defence, I'm unlikely to make that mistake again since it's a plot device that won't work well twice. <laughs> it's a good job that being a figment of Jules's imagination, Mr Fogg himself won't be offended, only his fans. Have a great Christmas, Nick. And from now on we'll just refer to him as... Mr. Fogg. Yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah. That way we can't get in trouble. Definitely. Yeah. So thank you uh, very much, Mike, for, uh, again, attempting. Uh, it's a it's a tough thing to do to keep us above 50%, but that's what we're always yeah, striving we, for. We need all the help we can get. Yeah, we do. <laughs> all right. Uh, we have some feedback from El Piloto. Oh, Ditching by the it. way, Vincent yes. Price was the fly, apparently. Oh, Okay. That's what some... uh, Laura, she's a fond of knowledge today, and she's wow, come she out with is. a couple of good ones. Well, you know, she, it's been a long time since we've seen Laura in our live audience, and it's great to see her there. And, yeah, she's usually sleeping, <laughs> Liz said, uh, because of her job, <laughs> not because she just like likes to sleep, although that might be part I, of it. I'm not sure if that's true or not. <laughs> yeah. But it was her job. I'm sure yeah. she does enjoy a kip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Laura, for being there. Good to see you. Uh, anyway, um, so we're going to continue on with uh, El Piloto. He says, hello, APG crew. First off, Captain Nick should read this one, as I am also British and have noticed in the past my British turns of phrase have left Jeff scratching his head while reading my <laughs> no, feedback. No, he's just got fleas. 
Uh, there's another one. Um, plus, mad ramblings and an English accent seem to carry more weight, and it just sounds better. And that's how to make friends and influence people. Yeah, that's right, El Piloto. Uh, you're, you're really uh, doing a nice job. doing. Anyway, so Nick, uh, you better take a big swig of beer. This feedback is a long one. And uh, that's what she said. And most likely full of grammatical and spelling errors. Well, uh, they probably won't be errors because it'll be proper English. So, uh, hey, writes, um, I have never been one to shy away from stepping outside of the box when warranted, nor do I accept the phrase that is just the way it is. Of course, this is to the exasperation of many TRIs and TREs, uh, that's um, type rating instructors and type rating examiners, who had the misfortune of checking me in the sim. And come to think about it, just about everyone else who knows me. Lately I've noticed a lot of conversations and stories involving ditching are doing the rounds. Well, um, were. Uh, I've been busy flying a lot, 100 hours plus every month. Well, hard worker. I digress. I started pulling apart ditching procedures and compared the theorised outcomes versus the actual ditchings that have occurred. Manufacturers, of course, only theorise about ditchings because they aren't going to try it with a shiny jet or even find anyone who wants to take the plunge. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Thus, this relieves room for questions and doubt and for me to pick at it. I'm sure you are now starting to see why I am so well loved by trainers. Bear with me as we meander through my thought processes, which are often tangential to everyone else's. I will try to condense my feedback as much as possible, as I am honestly not trying to drive all APG listeners away. Afterwards, I would love to hear the APG crew's take on it. Too late. Drawing on past ditching events forced or through just a complete cock-up, there's a fair amount of evidence to suggest I'm not as misguided and or mad as I seem. Supporting my argument for gear-down ditchings are the following dunkers. Captain Ashall and his briny DC-8 in 1968 covered in Captain Nick's plain tale titled The Ashall Defence. For those who do not know of this crash, the DC-8 was on approach to San Francisco runway 28 left in heavy fog. The aircraft ended up touching down fully configured short of the runway and in the bay. The ditching was so uneventful, many passengers were not even aware they had ditched. After the DC-8 was plucked from the water, dried out, and a few parts replaced or whacked back into place, back to service, the DC-8 went and it flew a normal length of service. Two, uh, New Guinea Flight 73 also touched down short of the runway in landing configuration without serious damage to the fuselage. It only sank due to the openings of the overwing escape hatching hatches. And number three, Lion Air Flight 904 was another that touched down short of the runway, once again in landing configuration. Yes, its back was broken, but this is a well-known weak point of the 737-800 and its larger variants. 
These accidents prove that ditching with the gear down is not as perilous as it seems. The DC-8 went on to fly again, and photos I have found in the Lion Air recovery have shown no damage to the aircraft's belly. With the crash, reports citing a detachment of the right engine and main gears occurred due to contact with the seabed and or the coral reef. Whereas when we look at the miracle on the Hudson, US Airways 1549, we can see the extensive damage to the belly of the aircraft, as well as the left engine having detached on impact. Even the Transair Cargo Flight 810's gear up ditching off Hawaii, both engines were torn from the wings by the ditching and the belly of the aircraft is now nothing more than very sharp confetti. If you've if you have been on a speedboat ride, you'll understand how water can do that to the underside of a thin metal hull. Now, let me grab a roll of high-speed tape and do what engineers do. Just strap it down all together and hope it'll fly. There's a reason why I write in anonymously. Big winky grin. Theorising how gear up and gear down ditchings first contact with the water, one thing is obvious. The big scoops on the wings, I think he's talking about the engines there, are going to ensure an abrupt stop before the aircraft has a chance to slow on the first touch. This results in a massive deceleration and thus very high g-forces. With all that energy, violently dissipating into the airframe extremely quickly. Whereas with the gear down, there's a chance for aquaplaning or skimming and some absorption of vertical loads by the gear on initial contact. Those who've cliff jumped or belly flopped onto a pool will understand how reluctant water is to part when entered fast and or flat. Once the wheels sink in, their shape will aid in a relatively smooth deceleration compared to the scoops. If that deceleration time can be increased from half a second to one second, this halves the g-forces experienced at impact. Every millisecond extra of deceleration time counts. I can only theorise the time of deceleration as the NTSB seemed to lose interest in flight 1549's flight data just before touchdown and none of the other accident reports attempt to calculate G-forces or provide the complete flight data recorder data set. In conclusion, I'm not as concerned as I was before about gravity extending the gear too early on a dead stick landing, which can take up to two minutes on the A380, with a runway next to a body of water. If I unfortunately had to ditch, um, 20 wheels should do a good job, but I'm not keen to find out if I'm right. Now, Nick, if you could kindly wake everyone up. <coughs> wake up, everybody! Oh! Woof! Wow. <laughs> Thank you to the ABG crew <laughs> for keeping me, <laughs> dogs are going to, keeping me entertained and happy days a lot. All the best, Els Piloto. There you go. And he's provided a lot of pictures, which I'm sure yeah. you've seen while so, I was trying to read that. I have to say, if you're watching the video, uh, neither 
Liz nor I were um, advancing and going backwards on the on the images that he sent us and that are in our slides. They're just like we're doing their own thing. It was like we were completely out of control. Uh, it was. Says, Why are you doing that? I said, I'm not touching it. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. dear. I'm glad you were concentrating on what you were reading and not seeing what was happening on the screen. Well, I could catch this thing out the corner of my eye, doing my best to ignore it. <laughs> it's like they're all over the place. Now Liz is actually controlling it. She's doing it on me. Uh, but she kept yelling at me, and I'm going, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Anyway, thanks, El Spilato. Yes, thanks, El Spilato, uh, for for that. So, what do you think of his theory? Um, do you think it'd be just best to leave the gear down and just ditch like that? And, uh, well, I don't see any particular reason why not. The only thing I can think the airlines and the manufacturers think is that um, with a effectively an aerodynamic, smooth aerodynamic bottom of the aircraft. Uh, that might react better on the water than if you open up some holes, take away a layer of protection which the undercarriage doors provide, uh, which means that if water bursts into those undercarriage bays, they're going to bust up into the cabin quite quickly, certainly on aircraft like 747 where the some of the gear are literally underneath the cabin floor. Um, so, so I'm, I'm thinking there. The other slight question I would ask is, uh, with the gear down, is there really that much difference in height between the engine intakes and the gear when you're hitting the water? Because if you, look, I mean, I could walk around an A340 or an A330, and the engines are only chest height. So there's there's literally what four feet uh, of height difference in between the gear and the bottom of the in engine intakes are the gear really going to absorb that much um deceler or going to take that much deceleration before the engines dip in and those engines aren't that strong and i think if there's going to be a vast deceleration the engines are going to just be removed from the pylons anyway so you know they'll be They'll be ripped off, perhaps, and uh, you know you, the aircraft um, won't be slowed down so much. I like the idea, though. I like the thinking out of the box because it's a pretty rare thing nowadays to find people who are willing to try and imagine a better way of doing things. You know, most of us just follow the party line rather than try and question. And if you ask the average TRE or T. Uh, all right, uh, what he thinks, you, yeah, you know, he's going to have no better idea than you, uh, El Palotto. So I think it's it's a very interesting suggestion. And um, the only concern is, if you're the captain that does this deliberately, goes against the manufacturer's recommendation for ditching configuration and it all goes wrong it may not be because you've put the gear down that might have actually made things better but if the airplane does break up because you're in a bad swell or it's the weather conditions aren't good and you just make a bit of a fluff of the landing or whatever you'll be hung drawn and quartered that's the only concern i would really have that's true good point 
Well, thank you, uh, Els Peloto, uh, for that. And we'll be thinking about that. Maybe that will spur some discussion and further feedback about the matter. Uh, let's I'd love to hear a manufacturer or an aircraft designer yeah. give his opinion. Right. That would be super. That would be. All right. Uh, this is from Tony. Uh, he says, hi, APG crew. I finally got around to sending in some feedback. I caught the syndrome back in the low 300s, back when Captain Nick was still a captain. I was, he still <laughs> is a captain, days. but uh, you know, once a captain, always a captain, right? Um, I was listening to that other podcast where they don't use names, only initials. A bit odd. In fact, I was wearing a, uh, a, mm-hmm, a jacket, jacket earlier that had their logo on it. Um, I won that in their, uh, was it their 200th, I think, um, celebration, mm-hmm. episode celebration yep. in, uh, at the Taco Truck Airport in uh, near Raleigh. Anyway. Uh, I was, uh, let's see, I keep, I kept hearing about this Captain Jeff and his APG podcast, so I had to check it out. Man, your show should come with an addiction warning. I got hooked straight away. I think that the old pilot's plane tales probably had the greatest effect on me. I mean, who can resist a good story? Then you got me hooked on Plane Talking UK's podcast as well. Then it was the airplane geeks, Avtalk, and the Green Dot. Yeah, I've got it bad. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I look forward to each new APG episode like an addict uh, craving their next fix. I might need some of that special antibiotic Dr. Steph talks about. I'm Go not around pilot, to selling. But I got my first book about planes when I was four or five years old and have been looking up every time a plane of any kind is overhead. One of my prized possessions is an official Boeing 747 general district description book from the late 60s that my uncle gave me when I was a kid. It's full of concept drawings, payload range charts, system diagrams. It's quite detailed and highlights what a game changer the 747 was going to be. Some of the figures and the cost analysis are unbelievable now. It cites fuel cost at 11 cents per gallon. <laughs> wow. Uh, those were the good old days. It's a little sad that the last 747 has just rolled off the production line, the end of an era. My workday starts around midnight, so you, the APG crew, and extended family keep me company and awake in the wee hours. I have to keep my eyes on the road, so I listen to the podcast. There's no autopilot in the truck. Maybe someday. Hopefully in the not-too-distant future, I can get over there and experience Oshkosh or maybe the 600th episode meetup. Anyway, keep up the great work. Cheers from Down Under. And this is from again from Tony and Sydney, Australia. Always good uh, to have our fans from uh, Down Under uh, sending us in feedback. And uh, Oh, yeah, what a shame. When I used to go to Sydney in the old days, uh, that we couldn't have affected a meetup. It would have been great. Yeah, because uh, I enjoyed myself. We didn't have long there, and we were pretty tired, to be truthful. But I used to enjoy uh, my. We got to, you know, we need to start having our um, big meetups, annual meetups again. We were we started that in 2016, and the last one we did was 2019. I don't know, maybe uh, an Australian uh, meetup would be kind of fun. Wow, that that's a that'd be a rare place to go to. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. We'd have fun down there. Oh yeah. All right. It would have to be a month-long meetup, according to Liz. Yeah, you know, to get our money. <laughs> it would, <worth>. indeed. <laughs> and hey, 
I'm going to be uh, retiring uh, by the end of next year. So, you know, maybe maybe 2024, maybe that would be a great place for a, for a meetup. All right. Uh, let's continue with um, this from Adam. He uh, says, good afternoon, crew. Uh, it seems only a couple of months ago that you were discussing the limitations of aircraft flying in 5G cellular areas. I've just stumbled across this article about aircraft being allowed to facilitate 5G signal to passengers without the need for onboard Wi-Fi and satellite link. I'd really, uh, I'd be really intrigued to hear your thoughts. And this is from the bbc.co.uk. And again, this is from Adam, Blue Skies, Tailwinds, Kind Regards. Okay, so uh, airline passengers in the European Union will soon be able to use their phones to full effect in the sky. The European Commission ruled airlines can provide 5G technology on board planes alongside slower mobile data. This could mean flyers will no longer be required to put their phone on airplane mode, though the specifics of how it will be implemented are unclear. The deadline for member states to make the 5G frequency bands available for planes is 30 June 2023. This will mean people can use all their phone's features mid-flight, enabling calls as well as data-heavy apps that stream music and video. Uh, how would you say? Theory? Theory? Bre Breton? Breton? Uh, uh, theory, I think. Theory? Like that. Okay. I've never but seen theory, it spelled that way. Yes. Theory, you say, Liz? Theory or theory. theory. Okay. Uh, EU Commissioner for the Internal Market said the plan would enable innovative services for people and help European companies grow. The sky is no longer a limit when it comes to possibilities offered by superfast, high-capacity connectivity, he said. Um, the EU Commission has reserved certain frequency bands for aircraft since 2008 allowing some services to offer mid-air internet access. But the service has been historically slow as it relied on equipment, equipment to connect people via satellite between the airplane and the ground. The new system will be able to take advantage of the much faster download speeds provided by 5G, which, uh, according to mobile network EE, can be, or double, is it EE or double E? How do you? Uh, I EE. Uh, EE, okay. Can be over 100... E <laughs> Wait a minute. I got it. Uh, it can be over 100 millibit, megabits per second, enabling a film to be downloaded in just a few minutes. Di Whittingham, chief executive of the UK Flight Safety Committee, told the BBC that airplane mode was historically important due to a lack of knowledge about how mobile devices affect aircraft. There was a concern that the, they could interfere with automatic flight control systems, he said. And just a side note, a lot of uh, pilots use that as an excuse when they screwed up things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, then they figured Not out me. that it had no problem. Uh, there was no problem with using it. And uh, anyway, uh, one, uh, what has been found with experience is the risk of interference is very small. The recommendation has always been that once you're in flight, devices should be in airplane mode. There's been a concern in the U.S. that 5G frequencies could interfere with flights and eventually, or even potentially, lead to erroneous altitude measurements. He said, uh, this is not an issue in the U.K. and the E.U. And you know what? I don't think it's, a, it's an issue here either. Uh, there is much less prospect of interference. He said, we have a different set of frequencies. There are lower power settings than those who have been uh, that have been allowed in the U.S. 
the traveling public wants 5G, the regulators will open that up possibly, but there will be steps that will be taken to ensure that whatever they do is safe. Um, okay, so I think the biggest concern I'm guessing that most people probably will have is not taking your phone off airplane mode and using 5G, uh, and I'm not sure exactly how that technology works for you to actually get a 5G signal. But let, okay, regardless, I think what they're saying is that people can then make calls while they're in flight. And I think that's the biggest objection that most people have. Not not like the, the potential of interfering with things in the cockpit and the air, you know, the safety of the air, but just sitting next to somebody and li listening to their conversation. And I don't want to listen to other people's conversations while they're in an airplane, you know? Well, that's to be fair, though, um, most aircraft, certainly long haul, have got a handset which allows people to make telephone calls and has done for years because uh, certainly on all our aircraft, uh, you could use a handset which was a controller. If you turned it over, it was like a telephone. You could hold it up here and you could... You could make how many phone people calls. actually use those though? I mean, I don't recall. Well, because it was a bit it. expensive, not right. many. Uh, so, but, um, but you understand the it, concern that I think a lot of people. Oh have, yeah, I do as well. Is that I mean, I can't stand it when I'm walking around in public, and somebody's just jabbering away, thinking they have to really raise their voice, even though they don't really yeah. need to. But they're like yelling their conversation. I'm thinking, thank you for sharing your conversation. I really don't want yeah. to hear about your business deal going on or that person no, in your I, office. I, I think really that's just. You. Yeah, it's just part of life, unfortunately, uh, and you can't get away from it. And I don't think you necessarily should be able to get away from it in a bus or a car or a train unless you're, I mean, our trains have specifically designated carriages, which are quiet carriages where you're not allowed to do that sort of thing because it upsets people. Um, interesting. Uh, it, it will only be a matter of time before uh, the sort of experiment of uh, will a telephone upset the airplane's navigation equipment or, you know, automatic pilot or whatever. People will realise that we have got so much data to support the fact that telephones are now entirely safe on airplanes that all restrictions will be lifted. And to be fair, the restrictions were almost certainly put in in the early days because uh, having 300 m mobile phones moving from one cell network to the next in very quick succession, it was very easy to bring down the ground stations that tried to handle that massive increase in telephone conversations as an aircraft flew over the ground cell stations. Uh, nowadays, your aircraft, uh, your phones will be directed to satellite links, um, which will retransmit your phone conversation uh, away from the ground networks and into a satellite, and it will then bounce it back down uh, into in a way that will handle that level of conversation, that number of signals. So I don't think that's going to be a problem in the future. I don't see any hassle with allowing full use of mobiles on aeroplanes and to be used to be fair most people don't just make telephone calls with their phones they they communicate in so many different ways and most of it's silent they're just tapping away on uh, you know twitter or whatever that that not that many people 
actually speak. Um, having said that, there are a number who refuse to put it to their ear and hold it in front of them and shout at it. <laughs> that's I find very annoying, but that's sending me. Yeah, I. And what's up with that? The late. I don't know if it's something that you've noticed over there in the UK, or it's just something that I've noticed here. But more and more people are. Um, being so inconsiderate and like playing videos and other things with the speakers that are built into their telephone and not putting in a heads, you know, headphones or earbuds to listen to yeah. it. And I'm thinking, well, thank you so much for sharing whatever song or whatever stupid thing it is you're listening to people yelling and screaming and doing all kinds of, thank you for sharing that. I didn't really want to hear that. You know, well, yeah, that's the, so the, rude to the, me. The days of just being nice for the sake of being nice have well gone. I know. You only have to look at the internet nowadays to see the number of awful people that feel it's their right to do whatever they want, regardless of how it affects the people around them. And right. that's that's just an awful attitude to have. So it is. It if is. we can do anything to influence uh, our listeners, just be considerate and kind people. Right. Just think, if you're the other person, would you want to be listening to that conversation you're having with somebody? Or Exactly. It's exactly. probably yeah. not. Or maybe you just don't care. I know that... Jingles doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Liz. Go ahead. What? Oh, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Steph wants to join us for the last few minutes of our show. So, uh, yeah. If you're listening, Steph, come on in. I don't see you yet. Uh, but we're going to uh, continue. We're going to trudge on. We're not trudging. I'm thoroughly enjoying this, actually. This is good for a, and it's nice to see some feedback for a change. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's nice to be able to spend time on feedback. And a lot of times that gets yeah. shortchanged in our show. And uh, anywho, uh, let's see. Let's continue on with number 15. We have some, uh, oh, feedback from Texas and Lashock. Oh, yeah. Very he said, cool. uh, something is... to share with the community, the B-21 unveiling. And uh, so I um, have queued up this, and I'm hoping it's still queued up, um, the uh, video from Northrop Grumman and the big reveal of the B-21, which looks really, really similar to me, to the... Um, uh, the B-2 um, stealth bomber. Um, but um, let's uh, add this to the stream and see this very uh, fancy... Oops, I'm sorry. I was going to turn the volume down a little bit. We have this beautiful symphonic music going on, and we're looking into the inside of this hangar with all kinds of fancy lighting, very similar to the lighting I have behind me earlier in the show <laughs> yeah, very true <laughs> maybe that yeah. influenced my it's, it's like a big trick or treat uh costume yes it's, it's some kind of an airplane that's uh being um covered with a uh, a drape or some kind of uh, fabric uh but you can definitely see the outline of this thing and the lights are getting a little bit more dramatic okay come on oh oh looks looks like they're uh pulling off the uh Whatever's um, covering it, I guess you could call it the cover. <laughs> it's the yeah. big reveal. Yes, and looks just it's like the... a B two to me. I don't know. Well, it does that that or the the bat plane. Yeah, 
It's uh, very dramatic. And now they're going to tow it a little bit forward. And then we're going to have people, uh, very famous the people. Guy, like, the guy in the tug is praying the tow bar doesn't break. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so they, they pull it out a little bit further and then they chalk it up and then uh, some uh, military general. Uh, ah, look, look, look how cool it is. Isn't that nice? It's got Batman eyes as well. Yeah. Uh, just that sheet cost taxpayers a billion dollars, <laughs> according to Tom. <laughs> Probably right. <laughs> it's a very, yeah. very special sheet that they put over it. Anyway, so there you go. That's pretty much, for me, the most interesting aspect of the uh, It is, video. but, I mean, I, I, I think it harks back to my story of Jack Northrop and his confidence that the flying wing would be uh, the future of uh, American bombers. And, you know, it's years after his passing, it's so nice to see that in one respect or another, his uh, his belief is coming true. Yeah, it, it is and, and it has. Okay, and then uh, there's a an admiral, Christopher Grady, uh, takes the podium and starts Yeah, what is that airplane? So what have they stuck that I, I don't know what that is. It must be something that Admiral Christopher Grady used to fly. I don't know. Not sure. All right. Well, we're, we're dating him a bit now. <laughs> I guess. Maybe not. I don't know. Really old. That's... Hey. Hello, Sam. Hey. Oh, you're it's looking very festive. Elf. Hi. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hi. I'm sorry for being way later than I anticipated today. I know oh, you're almost okay. done with the show, but... That's just okay. wanted to say okay. hello, nice Christmas Christmas to everyone. Happy holidays. So, Happy yeah. holidays. Yes. Awesome. So, uh, what have you been up to, Steph? Mm, I, so, I've actually been off of work for a couple of days, which has been nice, and we mm. are about to get some pretty terrible weather. It's actually been pretty terrible today, but um, use the slightly better weather the past few days to ferry some aircraft around for maintenance reasons. So that was good. Got to do a little bit of flying this week, despite. Mm -hmm. um, being after our season so an airplane up an airplane back and then um you know an airplane um took one out yesterday for a very different reason which ended up not being used at all but that's another story which can't really get into but hey translated to a little bit of flying and a little bit of airtime so all good mm -hmm. sounds excellent yeah that is awesome i bet you're and pleased to be back home uh now the weather's starting to come in oh yeah the weather um yeah, since last night hasn't been been great. Um, was actually out with some friends earlier today. They were trying to get to the Whitewater Center and do some ice skating and stuff before the weather really moved in. And it was kind of drizzly this afternoon, so I think they finally did get to go ice skating with the kids. But you know, we did lunch and beers, and that's why. I'm when tardy, you went ice so. skating, did you go to an ice skating rink or did you just skate down the road? Oh, it's not that cold yet. Oh, yet. Okay, but so it, will it will be. It will be. <laughs> It will be. Yes. I have tickets to a football game on Saturday, and it's the highest supposed to be like minus one Celsius. Mm. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. yeah, it's not going to be yeah, very warm. Good. But no more precipitation. I feel sorry so we're not for gonna... the athletes because, you know, in those sort of temperatures, you really have to keep warm and supple I feel yeah. sorry to stop well, yourself They make a lot of money. Injured. I don't that feel sorry for tough. them. <laughs> anyway, anything else uh, going on? What, what, what are your plans for uh, the next few days uh, over uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas? Uh, my plans are to do a lot of uh, cleaning around the house. I have this whole pile of oh, crap like behind fun. here that needs to be sorted yeah. through, and I would like to get rid of a lot of things. So that's yeah. my plans for Christmas. Yeah. Okay, that sounds really nice. It sounds exciting, just, doesn't it? Just like the yeah, holiday right? movies. 
That looks uh-huh. a bit like my Christmas tree back there. Except the boxes are slightly better wrapped. Oh, that's just garbage. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> well, that's what we've got under our Christmas tree, but we try not to say that. Oh, yeah. Uh, gifts. We call them gifts, not garbage. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, I think that we have, we can probably knock out a, like one or two more pieces of feedback. What do you think, Liz? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you so, want. Yeah. yeah and then well, I think we'll wind it up after two more. Okay. Um, Robert. To get to 16. the Evernote. And here it is. Okay. Uh, this is from Robert. In Tucker, Georgia. Not Robert Tucker in Georgia. Which number um, is this, by the way? I'm sorry. This is number 16. I'm sorry. 16. 16. Okay. Um, okay. Good. So uh, Facebook Facebook served this post up to me today. So I thought I would share to see if there's any truth to it. And uh, I think we have... Um, are you showing that on the video? Yeah, you are. Okay. So uh, in this uh, Facebook post uh, from Brown County Watchdog... Uh, kaboom, five minutes ago, uh, 101. Here's the offender, a private aircraft, I think, but I'm not sure that sonic boom was uh, illegal under FAA regulations. He was doing 675 knots, plus or minus, I guess, ground speed. It took me a minute to get a screenshot. Update, I tried to call the federal government, i.e. the FAA. I can walk into the White House easier than getting the FAA on the phone, laugh out loud, uh, signed a... FAA licensed pilot since 1987. Okay, so there's a an image here that um, uh, this person uh, captured of um, a, a jet, and it is um, from AB uh, ADSB Exchange, and November six two zero Alpha X Ray is the uh, registration on it. It's a Dassault. Mirage F1 from Airborne Tactical Advantage Company, LLC. So ATCO or ATAC, ATAC, I guess that's uh, the, they, they did a clever thing with the uh, name of the uh, company, Airborne Tactical Advantage Company, ATAC, ATAC. And uh, this is type description L1J. Now, is that a different type of airplane? It says it's a Dassault Mirage. Fine. Yeah, I believe it is. Uh, I looked at the registration, and okay. uh, it is a Dassault Mirage, I think, F1C or something. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's one of these uh, aircraft that have been uh, bought by, you know, uh, private contractors that uh, do uh, work for the military, either the Navy or the Air Force, uh, as an opposition force, an aggressor force. And this is just one of the variety of aircraft they have. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's real. It really happened. And they probably got a little bit faster than they intended to. Uh, like yeah, it's a Mach 2.2 capable airplane, the Mirage F1. So it is quick. Uh, I don't know if they've got authorization to uh, go supersonic overland. Probably um, not. Probably not. But uh, if uh, if you did it, uh, um, it's, it's quite easy to... <laughs> Because these airplanes are designed to go there, and it's and you know when you go supersonic, it's it's just a number on the HUD, uh, you know, or on the to, to the people on the, the, co- the airplane. You know, <laughs> yeah, you it doesn't don't mean, really, it doesn't, like, you don't really fine. notice. Seems fine. Yeah, 
Yeah. You don't. Whatever. You don't notice it so easily in the airplane. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tom Sylvia says uh, there's a Wikipedia link for that company if you want to check that out. Okay. Uh, give us a link, Tom. I um, wonder what the best way to get in touch with the FAA actually is. Huh. Calling would not be well, a good way to do it. No, you, you, you do a pilot deviation and then. Oh, they, they have no trouble getting in touch with you. They call, they no call trouble you. getting in touch with you. But the other way around. <laughs> yeah, they give you the number. Uh, are you ready to yeah. copy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not the best way. Always, they always answer the it. <laughs> yeah. Right, Steph. Yeah. What do you, I can't I can't write down anything. I can't I'm write flying. anything. I'm flying. Come on. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so thank you. Uh, thank you very much for sending that in, Mr. Uh, why can't I think of his name? Uh, I was going to say Mr. Tucker. Robert. Thank Robert. You. Robert. Uh, formerly uh, of near the Big Chicken in Mar- Mar- Marietta. All right. Uh, Kevin sent us this kevin shaw he says iceland air's first female pilot retires after 38 years of service at the airline greetings captains jeff nick rick dr steph nick c and liz i just came across this article on simpleflying.com and i thought it would make a good addition to the show Uh, the outgoing captain started her started her flying career in 1984 only two years before i started my career in aviation maintenance in 1986 I have heard somewhere that Captain Jeff might be retiring sometime in the near future. Yeah, you're right. Oh, wait. I've heard that a lot in the past several months that I've been listening to APG. That gives me hope that I might also get to retire someday. Of course, there's no mandatory retirement age for maintenance folks like there is for pilots. So the decision of when to jump is up to me. Jump, Kevin! Um, (laughs) Anyway, he's a Pratt & Whitney 300, Pratt & Whitney 500 power plant engineer. Oh, Standard Arrow. That was the um, one of the companies that was uh, tapped to uh, work along with FTT and, or FFT, FTT, and uh, Boom uh, Supersonic on their new Well, symphony. maybe he can comment on that. Yeah, we should. Uh, yeah, Kevin, you should uh, send us in some feedback on that. Uh, like what you know about all that. Uh, so congratulations to the, uh, I, I, I didn't, uh, download the article about the first, um, Icelandic air mm-hmm. female. That was a little there. while ago. I mean, I know we're always kind of chronically yeah. behind on things, but, um, what? no, no, we're what? Not. We're no, right we're not on the edge. Sorry. <laughs> we'll put it in she the show notes. She retired on November 30th. Okay. Not too so long. Not that That's not very yeah. far behind. Well, congratulations to her, whatever her name is. Do you have that available to you, Steph? Um, let's see. I guess I can do the same thing from simpleflying.com. Sigrid Einer's daughter's daughter. Nailed it. Yep. <laughs> That's Sigrid why Thur Jeff wasn't Einer's looking at us. <laughs> I didn't yeah. know. I'm going to leave that to Steph. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm re- she's really good at pronouncing Icelandic. No, some Icelandic, Icelandic person's going to write in and be like, that was terrible. Like, well, don't worry. Well, I've got the Finnish after me. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, Bad-mouthing well, their version of Father Christmas. Uh-huh. You should probably finish talking about those folks. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, well, we had Nikki on earlier who was, who was going, oh, yeah, I remember now. You, know, you mentioned it. We did have a half-goat, half-man Father Christmas. Yeah. Well, Steph, I have a question for you. Um, yes. We talked about this uh, earlier in the oh. show. 
Uh-huh. So I didn't know you had a uh, Volkswagen Beetle convertible. I mean, I don't like to advertise all my vehicles. Uh huh. Obviously. Yeah. 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 I, mean, like, uh, it, I was not, not in. Uh, it's not pink though. I yeah. wasn't in, in Chicago Land recently, but I was not in Juliet. So uh, close, okay. but no cigar on this one. <laughs> okay. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll let that go then. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow, we might as well. Someone, pick. someone. I'm a little concerned. Someone is impersonating me out there, though. That's yeah, concerning. yeah. Well, yeah. Identity, could, identity theft mm, is a, a real concern. I mean, there's no way that there could be more than one Doctor Stuff. Definitely not in the world. No. All right, uh, continue on with Greg. Uh, interesting article. What would you guys have done? This is Greg Peterson, formerly our big ass fan. Um, he said, this is an interesting article dealing with the startle factor. Would you have done anything different in this situation? And it's from airguide.info. Hmm. Uh, pilots were forced to abort a landing, uh, because they were distracted by the cabin crew continuously pressing emergency alert call button. I'm not sure what the emergency alert call button is. Maybe just the standard button that they ring when they want to talk to us. In the cockpit? On the Airbus, they used to have two call buttons on the telephones. One oh. was a standard call and one was an emergency one. Oh, okay. So they had so different tones in different uh, light flashes in the flight deck. Oh, uh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that there was such a thing. Okay, the pilots of a, of a British airline were forced to perform a, an aborted landing after a passenger left their seat and collapsed into the aisle shortly before touchdown but were then distracted by the cabin crew who continuously pressed an emergency alert call button because they didn't know what to do with the passenger. The details of the incident were revealed in a report published by the Confidential Human Factors Incident Reporting Program, or CHIRP, a charitable organization which works with regulators to gather data or data on aviation and maritime safety. Passengers and cabin crew were seated for landing when a passenger left their seat and dropped to the floor within just three minutes before touchdown. Uh, the cabin crew correctly reported that the plane was no longer secure for landing, and the captain decided to perform a go-around or, or, or aborted landing to give the crew time to investigate what was happening. A go-around is considered a resource-intensive operation, which requires the full concentration of both the captain and first officer. As a result, it's not unusual for a go-around to be to be accompanied by several minutes or longer of waiting to receive an update from the pilots. On this occasion, however, the cabin crew started to press an emergency alert call button so much that it was distracting for the flight deck crew to manage the go-around manually. At the same time, the pilots were trying to talk to air traffic control and avoid a large storm cloud while the emergency alert chimed in the background. In the end, the senior crew member had to be told by the captain to simply stop pressing the alert button. Stop pressing the button. That's what we, that was a, an excerpt of the audio. We get it. Something yeah. is bad back there, but we have to figure this out first. Right. It's okay. Yeah. We, there are things that we're doing up here. We're kind of busy. Uh, the first officer was left with controls and radio in a demanding situation whilst the captain spoke with the crew to find out the nature of the emergency. The cabin crew said, I don't know what to do. I've never done this before. <laughs> That's not a good encouraging something no that's oh thank you yes that's just what i wanted to hear <laughs> and they were very nervous and panicky on the interphone mm. oh. i mean what you really want to hear is it's okay we've got the situation under control please exactly. land yeah just get us on the ground quickly mm -hmm. uh, the report noted that while the more experienced captain could have kept control of the aircraft they decided to speak to the cabin crew directly because they thought that the incident was so serious turns out 
the passenger was suffering from a panic attack and motion sickness. Yeah, that's... That's not a... No. It's not an emergency. Nope. Nope. No, uh, hard to tell at the time, though. Uh, probably yeah. so, yeah. There's no way that the pilot crew could have known, right? They could have known, and to be honest, if Maybe not you know, someone's very incapacitated and unable to speak or respond, it's very hard to figure out what's going on with someone in the first few moments, especially, you know. Yeah. I think uh, I, I think I talked about this on the show um, a few months back. I don't know quite how long ago it was. Uh, flying into Jackson, Mississippi. And one of the things that I do is I always listen. I always have the volume up on the cabin interphone and the PA so that I can hear what's going on in the back of the jet. And we were probably maybe uh, final approach fix inbound on an ILS to uh, one six left at Jackson uh, in Mississippi. And I hear a PA that's being made. Are there any medical professionals on board? And I'm thinking, uh-oh, something's going uh -oh. on. <laughs> and then quickly, you know, followed very, very shortly by uh, the cabin uh, chime to uh, talk to somebody on the cabin interphone. And she says, yeah, we have a guy back here who's, who's uh, we think he's having a heart attack. And I said, okay, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to land. We're going to try to make it as, you know, soft as possible. Um, and uh, we'll get, you know, get him to uh, medical People yeah, as, I mean, so so, just from my standpoint as, you know, a medical professional, if there's something medical going on and you're three minutes from landing, that's ideal. Mm -hmm. You don't want to spend more time in the air trying to sort something out when you could be on the ground. You know, it's different only... if... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, in this case, if they didn't really know why that person got up and started moving around, that's a little bit mm -hmm. different if they were, you know, uh, you know, mobile under their own power and incoherent and doing all kinds of weird things, then perhaps this was the correct decision at the time but mm -hmm. it sounds like they weren't really able to adequately assess what the true nature of the situation was for quite a while right and they were pretty clear um to me on the cabin interphone that you know we're pretty sure he's having a heart attack and and i'm thinking you know time is a, of the essence sure and uh i know that you know it, technically the cabin is not secure because there are people up they're probably trying to get the um the def defibrillator defibrillator I I defibrillator so thank you that thing uh, out of the AED. Uh, overhead, AED, out AED. of the overhead bin, and it's, uh, that's hard for me too. Um, okay. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Wow! So the big shocky thing. Yeah, the big shocky thing. Yeah, big shocky the, thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, and so you know, I, I think it was the first officer's leg, and I said, "Just," he said, "What's going on?" I said, "Don't worry, just keep on flying, and just make it a nice, soft touchdown, like you always do." Mm -hmm. And uh, and we got it on the ground, and and got to the gate really, really quickly. And uh, medical personnel were, we beat the medical people to the gate. Uh, and that's how quickly we were arriving at the gate. And while well, you were uh, taxiing. So while we were taxiing in. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So it worked out well. Um, again, I, I feel sorry for this pilot crew because they really didn't, I don't think they were given any kind of information at all, except that just somebody just continuously pressing the button, which is not, not a good thing. That's not good information. No. You know, I mean, I've had that scenario where someone, so there's no barrier between my passengers and me, really. So if someone wants my attention, there's no, like, audible, you know, yeah. cue. It's just usually someone's fingers, like, jabbing you in the shoulder <laughs> oh, nice. repeatedly. Um, and that's come at some inopportune times sometimes. But also I can turn around and say, no, 
Like, I don't care what the emergency is with you right now. It's not my, like... <laughs> I am flying the airplane, and I'm the exactly. only pilot here, so I really exactly. need to focus one on of the, One of the worst uses of that was, like, on a jump run, someone was feeling nauseated, and they wanted to know if I had an a, a airsick bag. Mm -hmm. But that's the time they, they chose to ask for it and repeated, you know. I'm gonna mm -hmm. be, we're going to be sick. I'm like, well, the door's open. Yeah, just go out the door. Stick your head out. <laughs> be sick jump over there. Jump out the door and be sick. And be sick. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they got a parachute on, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, now, anyway. we used to have quite strict procedures about who can contact the flight deck and when. Uh, and um, uh, this was well drilled into our cabin crew. So in a situation like this, they, they, at this point stage on the approach, there was only one member of the cabin crew who was allowed to call the flight deck. And that was the flight service manager, the senior cabin crew member. So all the other cabin crew, if they had a problem, they had to communicate to her. She would decide if the, she would sort of triage the event quickly, decide whether it was important enough to call the uh, flight deck. And if it was, she would know, she knew, I mean, these were experienced ladies uh, and gentlemen, of course, they would know how to contact us. And they knew that if, we didn't reply immediately. It's because we were too busy, in which case they would just deal with it on their own. So I think a lot of this has to do with cabin crew training and the airline's own procedures. BA is a good airline uh, and they are well trained. So I don't know whether this was just a breakdown in their procedures uh, from an inexperienced cabin crew or just perhaps an inexperienced senior so we don't, we don't actually know which airline this was. It says a British airline and then unnamed oh, okay. airline later oh, on. Right. So I'm uncertain sorry, which airline it, it actually was. Yes. British Airways. That's okay. Just okay. 50%. All right. In know. that case, uh, yeah, it may not have been one of the better ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, what can I say? Um, so, yeah. Uh, the other thing is that the, I'm assuming this was an Airbus. I didn't necessarily say it was. But the cabin uh, alert on the flight deck of the Airbus is annoyingly loud and long for what it is. I mean, it's it's a telephone call from the cabin crew. This is not an engine fire. So it doesn't need to compete with the engine fire gongs that go off, alarm that go off, or the major emergency. But it certainly does. I mean, it is really loud and insistent. Uh, so Airbus did a, didn't do us a favour when they chose this particular noise. It could have been something much more subtle uh, that you could work through if you decided you weren't going to answer the call. Um, so that, that's, that's two problems, one with training on the cabin crew, one with the actual system itself. And the other thing is, uh, you know, you, you answer it and you go, we're going to be on the ground in two minutes. Is this going to be a problem? Uh, and quite honestly, if you've got an unsecured passenger, doing a go-round is almost as bad as doing a landing because you're going to put all this power on, pitch the airplane to 15 or 17 degrees nose up. They could start rolling down the cabin <laughs> like an out-of-control basketball. You know, you could almost create the same problem by going around as you could by landing. So, and Jeff is exactly right. In this situation, with three minutes from landing, you're much better off putting the airplane on the ground, 
dealing with it there because it's so much safer, simpler, and you've got so many more resources than it is keep staying airborne uh, yeah. for another 10 or 15 minutes. It will take you to reposition and make a second approach. So, you know, I, I feel I feel for the pilot and the crew. Having said that, we're trained to work through these problem areas. The, the, the presence of a insistent interphone ringing should not distract you sufficiently from landing the airplane safely. There could be a computer or electrical fault that sets off an alarm on the cockpit that insistently continues to ring. And I've been in a airplane where that has happened. You have to learn to <laughs> isolate mm -hmm. your attention from that distraction and continue to fly the airplane. And if necessary, land you, you land it. Yep. You know, regardless, you shouldn't let it distract you so much that you can't fly the airplane safely. Absolutely, 100% of flying yeah. training. That is so true. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Greg, for uh, sending us that uh, that close call. No, the uh, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I thought an interesting one. Yeah, mm -hmm. hold on, Greg. Well, speaking about uh, first or close calls, uh, finally, we're going to wrap it up with Albert. He says, hi, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Seasons greetings. Happy New Year from Albert in uh, at Acme, Australia. Just in regards to your news story about the near collision involving a Singapore A380 and Virgin 73, um, Sydney Airport has a runway intrusion system at all taxiway hold points that access the runway that consists of two raised red stop bar lights and inset red lights across the taxiway, plus the taxiway centerline lights are red. Once ground has cleared you to cross or enter the runway, the red raised and inset uh, stop bar lights will extinguish and the taxiway centerline lights will turn green. From your article, it appears as though the Virgin crew did get approval and the hold point lights changed, but once the crew did their cleared left, cleared right check, they would have spotted the looming A380 and not proceeded. It appears there would have been a zero chance of a collision as the crew performed standard operating procedures Ooh, and averted. Zero? No, no, yeah, there's no, no such no, thing no, as zero no. chance of a collision <laughs> uh, and averted any possible disaster. And a shout out to Liz. I just love your witty comments and prompts that yeah. you suggest to Jeff. Keep it going. Yay. Love you guys. Yeah. I think he's probably referring to that show that where he did the uh the, the, the scale down, yeah. it was just Liz and I. Yeah, and just you and I. She kind of did mm -hmm. a lot of the things that she normally does, but you don't normally hear in the background. And I thought that oh, was brilliant. Fun. Yeah. Yes. Um, so the only thing, uh, Albert, uh, that I'm questioning, questioning is that system that you're talking about, it sounds like it's not an autonomous system like the runway status indicator lighting system that are installed at like Charlotte Airport and some other big airports around our country here in the U.S. where they don't, it sounds to me almost like they give clearance and then they hit some kind of a switch to extinguish these lights. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, it's not an automated thing. It's a manual control, perhaps. Right. So it's just as susceptible to uh, human error as any other. Anything system, else? Yes. I, I don't know. But... That's just me. I don't know. I don't know, understand the system at uh, at Sydney. But whatever, as we mentioned in the last show, Albert, um, the 
thing that uh, was most significant in in my mind about that whole uh, incident was the fact that the pilots mitigated this this error very well. They trapped the error by doing what we should all do and just keep aware of what's going on around us. You know, looked even though I've been given clearance to cross a runway, I always look and make sure that there's not an airplane landing or taking off that's going to hit me. And the same thing for the first officer on their side of the uh, aircraft, because you never know. We're, we're all humans and we can make a mistake. Or maybe I thought they said that we were cleared across, but maybe we weren't. Maybe they told us to hold short instead. So uh, that they, uh, it was a, it was a good outcome because they were, you know, making sure that they, they, they used their utmost vigilance and uh, operating their flights. So. Yeah, I agree 100%, Jeff. I'm pretty certain they're the same sort of thing as we had at Heathrow. Those lights are manually controlled, and when the uh, controller gives you clearance to enter the runway, he will turn off the red bars, and uh, that will be a visual cue to back up his transmission. Um, the only uh, problem I have with uh, Albert's feedback is uh, he says it appears there would have been zero chance of a collision as the crew performed SOPs to avert possible disaster. Um, they were at the other end of the runway, and the A380, although it's a big airplane, it's not that big, uh, is uh, a mile or two away. Uh, uh, let's call it a mile to be safe, 5,500-odd 5, feet. Um to see an aircraft start rolling when you're looking more or less straight down the runway, particularly if they've got all the landing lights and things on, is very difficult because we're all used to appreciating something coming towards us. By seeing relative motion, because you're looking down the runway, there is no or very little relative motion. So what we're relying on is the growth in size of the aircraft. And when it's a long way away, there is a tiny growth in size. It's very hard to see it passing up the runway towards you because you're almost at the same height as the runway and you can't really see the aircraft progressing along because uh, you, you're looking straight down, more or less straight down at it. So I would have said that from a human uh, perspective, just our sensory organs, uh, noticing that the airplane was moving towards you was a good catch from the crew. They could easily have looked at it and said, yeah, that's fine. Not every airline has the SOP that they put their landing lights or takeoff lights on when they've got a clearance. A lot of them put it on according to the manufacturer's SOP. And as on the Airbus, that is when you enter the runway, you put all your lights on. Um, oh, you certainly used to be. I don't know if it's still the case. Um, so I'm just going to say that this crew were particularly vigilant. Another crew might not have picked up the fact that their aircraft was progressing down the runway towards them. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, I think an extra tick, an extra commendation to that crew for spotting it. It's not easy. It's not as easy as you think. No. And Liz makes a very good point. She's thinking, because we're not quite sure if it's an autonomous or manual kind of system that we're going to have to make a trip down there and maybe have a big meetup <laughs> in, I don't know, 2024 <laughs> yeah. to check out the city. Good idea. Definitely. We need a tower visit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yep, Sydney Tower, if you're listening. It's only halfway around the world, after all. I mean, yeah. 
seems like they should be able to accommodate Whatever. that little request. We'll be talking to you, so Albert, to rain. Yeah, well, we're going to contact uh, you, know, you, Albert. <laughs> there's, there, I'll just add on to what Nick said, and I don't think there's a system out there that's 100% foolproof. So um, you got to use all your available resources all the time to make sure that you're making correct decisions. Yep. Yeah, very much so. 100% true. All right. Well, guess what? That's it. That's it. We made it <laughs> all the way bottom of the barrel. This. Now, Liz There's is already kind of concerned that we're not going to have enough face <laughs> or feedback, Facebook feedback for another show in a week or so. And I'm thinking, well, if we don't, we'll just take the week off. So uh, just stay tuned to all the social media, which well, Steph is going to tell There us is about. a birthday coming up. Now, so I do have a birthday on Monday. Oh, I need to talk. I should have mentioned that. Um, my birthday is on Monday, the 26th. I know some people call it Boxing Day and other things, but I call it my birthday. Um, and I'm going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I sent uh, emails to all the people that I know of who are in the Tulsa area, mentioning that I was going to be there uh, for a layover. And uh, tentatively right now, we're planning on meeting up uh, over at McNelly's Pub, which is just a couple of blocks yeah, you're right, Liz. I'm not going to uh, request any presents at all because I'm trying to cut down on my stuff. I'm trying to downsize. So don't, you know, if you uh, uh, meet me at McNally's on Monday afternoon, please don't bring any gifts because I just don't have room for them. Thank you, though, for your nice, kind thoughts. And uh, so, yeah, McNally's Pub in the Blue Dome District, I think they call it, uh, in the downtown area, just a couple of blocks from our hotel. So, um, look forward to seeing you if you are listening. And uh, how yeah. old, Jeff? Uh, I'm Neil six, Landwarm well, says twenty-one be, again. Yeah, twenty-one again. Sixty-four. Twenty-one again. Sixty-four. Yeah. Sixty-four. Yeah. Ooh. And that means that uh, that's a year your last from, year then. Yep, I'm in, I'm in my last year, and if I plan this right, I'm hoping this works. I'm going to take my five weeks of vacation and back it all up into November. And uh, so that will probably be uh, so. I have under Excellent. a year to go uh, for. Uh, hey, that'll one. be great. Well done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll see how that works out. Anyway, uh, so thank you for reminding me of that, Liz. And uh, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up the show by pointing everybody to airlinepilotguide.com. It's a great website. Lots of good stuff there to learn more about the crew and the community and uh, the plane tales and we even have a apg library for those people that like to read books and stuff and uh we have so much more please check it out airlinepilotguide.com and we're also on the social meds uh steph can you tell us we about are. that we are you should head over to facebook well, it's facebook.com slash airline pilot guide alternatively you could check out our twitter uh, page that's at apg crew and our individual handles are pinned to the top of that page as well and the much neglected but um still kind of there instagram we're also apg crew apparently maybe nick is posting some things there sometimes i'm not sure <laughs> sometimes sometimes i think so maybe there you have it really and you know if you really want to be involved mm -hmm. we can do one better oh and that's slack it deep dive in the slack so let's see if uh hello i think i hear the shower hello hello can, can you do slack jeff this is my private time would you let me finish a poo for once <laughs> sorry i guess we're gonna have to do the recording of uh, hello telling us okay. about slack 
APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Sorry to bother you. I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain. Uh, Okay. Thanks for the warning. All right, um, and we also want to say a big thank you to our producer, Liz. She thank does so Liz. much work in the background. It's awesome. Thank you, Liz. We love you. My pleasure. All right, and we love Happy holidays, of- everybody. Yeah, happy holidays. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa and all the other festivals and festivities are going on. I think, oh, uh, wait, is tomorrow um, Festivus? Tomorrow is Festivus. Oh, look. And, and right. I've got a lot of grievances I'd like to air. Oh, I bet you probably do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, I hope that not too many are aimed at me. And uh, with that, wishing you all um, just a happy holiday season. Spend uh, some great time with family and friends. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Love you. Cheers, y'all. Adios, mon ami. Bye, everyone. See you next year. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline